What's up, everybody? Welcome to episode 57 of the Tom Shiflet Podcast. I am your host, Tom Shiflet. We have a lot to get into this week, so didn't get to record Tuesday. I said it would probably be a Saturday one because I still had dental work again and then had some job interviews this week. I had a lot going on, so we got a lot to unpack. We'll look at week 10. We'll look at week 10, and then we'll preview week 11 slate of games. We'll take a look at Thursday Night Football real quick. Then we'll jump into all that. Then we'll get into the NBA draft, all the trades that have gone on, free agent signings from today, a lot of stuff going on. So this is probably going to be a pretty long one. So I'm going to try and keep it as quick as possible. I don't want to have a two-hour one, a three-hour one. So I'm going to get through this kind of as quickly as possible. But, you know, I'm not going to rush through it here. So let's look at Thursday Night Football from Thursday night, obviously, because it happened Thursday night. Seattle wins 28-21 over the Arizona Cardinals. So, Russell Wilson, 23-28, 197 yards, two touchdowns. He had 10 carries for 42 yards rushing. Carlos Hyde, 14 carries, 79 yards, and a touchdown. Tyler Lockett, nine receptions, 67 yards, and a touchdown. DK Metcalf, three catches, 46 yards, and a touchdown. So, Arizona did the same thing defensively that they did the first time that they played them, where they just kind of threw Drake and Patrick to the Wolves. You guard Tyler Lockett. That's it. We're keeping Patrick Peterson on DK the entire time. We're limiting that as much as possible. And Lockett has another nine plus receptions, 70 plus yards and another touchdown. So just a, it wasn't the greatest game for them offensively. The offensive line really struggled again. This is about, you know, every single week we have to talk about how the offensive line just isn't protecting Russell Wilson enough, but they got enough from Carlos Hyde get a little bit of balance, have a bit of a run game, took a lot of pressure off of Russell Wilson for once. And, you know, the the defense, they played pretty well too. I mean, Carlos Dunlap, the acquisition that they got before the trade deadline from Cincinnati, he was a big shot in the arm for them. He, they're actually starting to get after the quarterback finally. The defense is starting to improve a little bit. It's still not where it needs to be if they want to be a serious contender for the Super Bowl. But Dunlap made a huge impact. He sat Kyler Murray on the last play of the game to end the game on a 4th and 11. So he had, he also had two sacks. Um, yeah, I mean, Seattle, we've been making fun of how historically bad their defense was, but they did a pretty good job of stopping this Arizona offense on Thursday night. Speaking of that, Kyler, 29-42, 269 yards, two touchdowns. He only had five carries for 15 yards. He hurt his AC joint in his throwing shoulder. About the second drive of the game, he got taken down pretty awkwardly, fell on it, looked like his arm was bothering him the rest of the evening, and didn't look like they were going to make him run at all and really put himself in any you know jeopardy of getting tackled like that. And also, Seattle did a really good job of picking times when to just straight up come at him, which teams are starting to do recently, because if you just sit back, he's going to run all over you. But if you're starting to come after him, you have to make him kind of see what's going on quicker. It's also difficult for him to see over the offensive line. So it's starting to give him some trouble with all these all-out blitzes. And then Seattle did a lot of job of mixing it up, having a couple guys spying or not even rushing at all. You saw Kansas City do that to Lamar a couple times. It's where you don't even rush him. You just sit there, you stare at him, and you hope your back end covers well enough that it just it's not going to materialize into anything. But you know the offense, it, it was sputtering a little bit. It, it didn't have the same punch that it usually does. Have we seen this Arizona Cardinals offense have all year? You could just tell that Kyler really wasn't 100%. But they said 
He's got tests. It's all fine. He's not going to miss any games from it, but it was probably just a pain management thing for him. And Kenyon Drake, 11 carries, 29 yards, and a touchdown. Larry Fitzgerald led the team in targets with 10. He had eight catches, 62 yards. DeAndre Hopkins, Seattle did a really good job of taking him out of the ballgame. He only had six targets, five catches, 51 yards. Arizona, they only rushed a season low, 57 yards. This was the number one team running the football coming into this game. So, so really, this is probably the best defense that Seattle has played all year. Following it up with a pretty good defensive outing that they had against LA last week. It wasn't a very good game at all for Seattle. They lost that game 23-16. to Russ was really terrible. Uh, you know, a couple weeks in a row now, he's had four-plus turnovers. Really uncharacteristic. He made a couple throws that were just, it wasn't Russell Wilson. It's not the Russell Wilson we're used to seeing, but if this team can get a little bit of their rushing attack going and then get a little more balance and this defense can play how it has the past two weeks, I'm I'm still, I'm buying into Seattle here, but I, 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 just, I don't know what to, I don't know if they can get something out of Carlos Hyde. Apparently they're going to get Chris Carson back next week, which is going to be huge, but even when they had Carson, that running game really wasn't, wasn't up to snuff and the offensive line has just been terrible. Russ is just running around. He's panicked back there. He's flustered, and he's making a lot of decisions he usually doesn't make. So maybe this is a turning corner for them. Arizona, I mean, they shot themselves in the foot all night. Not only did Kyler's injury kind of slow them down a bit, but they had 115 yards, total penalty yards. That was the most in the game since week 16 of 2015. So they didn't do themselves any favor in this game. And they still legitimately could have won this football game, but just not a really great outing from them. And we've seen that from Arizona so far this year, that clunker that they had against Detroit at home, the really bad loss that they had against Carolina, just just really bad losses that that's really going to kick themselves, especially in this really tight race that what it looks like it's going to be in the NFC West. So Seattle, they're now 10-1 and on Thursday Night Football since 2010. Seattle also moves to 61-1 and when leading by four-plus points at halftime. Their only loss in such games was Week 7 against Arizona on Sunday Night Football. Russ, he surpassed Peyton Manning for the most wins by a quarterback in the first nine seasons with 93. He's also the third player in NFL history with 30-plus touchdown passes in four straight seasons. He joins Drew Brees and Brett Favre. Tyler Lockett, he joins Jerry Rice as the only wide receivers in the Super Bowl era with 20-plus receptions, 250-plus receiving yards, and 4-plus touchdowns versus a single opponent in a single season. So Tyler Lockett just dominated Drake or Patrick and anybody who wasn't Patrick Peterson that Arizona threw at him. And, you know, the strategy did work. I mean, Arizona, if they would have had a little bit of a better offensive outing, their defensive strategy would have worked. They should have won this football game. They did a really good job of stopping DK Metcalf. But they just Tyler Lockett just dominated them this series. So Seattle, they take over first place in NFC West. They're now seven and three. Arizona unfortunately drops to six and four. They're still in the race. They're still in the hunt. It's a big game for LA Monday night football against Tampa Bay. See if Arizona can kind of hang in there. Hopefully they're probably praying that LA drops that game. So we'll look into week ten and also week eleven at the same time, like I did last week. So the first game we'll look into at week eleven is the 9-0 Pittsburgh Steelers at the 1-8 Jacksonville Jaguars. So Pittsburgh comes to Jacksonville after the 36-10 win over Cincinnati. Wire-to-wire win, probably the best game they've played in a couple weeks now. It was nice to see. It wasn't me having a heart attack by the end of the game. It was nice for them just to, by the second quarter, I was like, okay, this game is over. Thank God I can kind of focus on other games because I had a bunch of different games on with my Sunday ticket. But you know, the defense played really well. They still got gashed a little bit by long runs, but, you know, that's 
of just nitpicking at this point. They did a really good job. You know, Joe Hayden was really great against T. Higgins, A.J. Green, and Auden Tate. And they did a really great... I mean, they rushed the passer well, as always. And getting, getting Tyson Alualu back, it really made a difference defensively with their rushing attack especially. But they still, they're still struggling with it because Robert Spillane just isn't the biggest dude in the world. So he's kind of getting eaten up once the lineman gets to the second level. He's really having trouble getting off that that block there. So... That's something they gotta address. I don't, but uh, you know, it, but it was it was a really good win. Ben looked really good, especially with all the think piece articles coming out that you know this team would be a lot better than they are if it wasn't if you know Big Ben wasn't there. He's holding them back. Blah blah blah. He was really good. Three hundred and thirty-four yards, four touchdowns, twenty-seven completions. He looked really sharp. He had a couple of the deep balls connect to Deontay Johnson, one to Chase Claypool. It's about time. It's been a couple weeks where I was talking about it last Saturday. It was like, man, I really hope they can get some deep balls going and kind of get this offense going. This is a really susceptible Cincinnati defense. It's a good candidate to bounce back and kind of get some confidence offensively, and they did just that. Except for the run game, the run game is still, man, it's it's the biggest problem that this team has, really. I mean, every if you look at it across the board, Ben could beat you with his arm. They've been running those five wide receiver sets and just letting him work, and it's been the most successful this offense has been all year. The defense is still really good. This is a top five defense in the league. Special teams is pretty good, but the running game is just, it's really bad right now. It's not just James Conner. The line isn't protecting well. They're not blocking well running the football, and when Randy Feigner is calling these run plays, it's kind of predictable. So there are a lot of runs out of shotgun too. It's just, it doesn't make sense for someone without the speed on the outside that James Conner has for him to run out of the shotgun. It's, I don't know. They got to figure something out though. I thought this would be a prime candidate for them to kind of get the run game going against Cincinnati's rush defense, which is not only the worst in football, but it's one of the worst in NFL history and they still couldn't get it done. So that's a little alarming for me. That's why I'm still not saying that Pittsburgh is the best team in the league. I know they're undefeated. They're nine and zero. that's my favorite team. Obviously I'm, I'm not being biased here. See, I'm not a homer. Kansas City is still the best team in football, and they also they need to fix their running game too. We'll get more into that later on about the Kansas City game on Sunday night football, but they also need to fix their run game, and that's very important once it starts getting colder out. Once the playoffs start, you got to start running the football here. So Pittsburgh's got some work to do. Jacksonville, 1-8. and eight. They come into this game, I mean, they really, they fought really hard against Green Bay, man. It, they probably should have won that game, honestly. Aaron Rodgers wasn't the sharpest all season and they just looked lethargic and Cincinnati. I mean, they got a long, uh, sorry, Jacksonville, it's the same thing. They're two jungle cats and they both suck, but Jacksonville had a nice long Keenan Cole. He had a nice 91 yard touch punt return for a touchdown. Luton made some pretty good throws, but he probably had a lot of throws. He wished he could have back. He missed DJ Chark jr. A couple times down the field where he had gotten open. He underthrew the ball, the windy and cold conditions in green Bay kind of, Looked like it was a lot for him to deal with, and they ran the ball really well. Figured that was going to happen. Was talking about it last week on the episode that Green Bay is horrendous against the run, and James Robinson ran all over him. But they just didn't materialize into a lot of points, and they're one and eight at the end of the day. They don't get moral victories that are not in the win and loss column, so that's a loss for them. They're one and eight, and probably doesn't look too great for them to try and get a win this week. But you know, crazier things have happened and we saw what Dallas did to Pittsburgh. So who knows this, maybe they sleepwalk through this game on the road and Jacksonville has always been a weird place for Pittsburgh to play. They've, they've had some real clunkers there in 
Jacksonville, whether it was David Garrard, Byron Leftwich, Blake Bortles, whoever the quarterback was, it was always a really tough place to play for Pittsburgh. I mean, just a couple of years ago, Big Ben had a, a rushing touchdown in the last seconds of the game for them to come back from 20 down in the fourth quarter to win that game. It's just a lot of weird stuff have happened in Jacksonville. So I wouldn't just say that this game is over by any means. And I think Pittsburgh's only a 10 point favorite. So this game, it, it should be a blowout, but crazier things have happened. So Pittsburgh comes into this game with the 24th offense, 19th passing, 25th rushing, and the fourth overall defense for Jacksonville. They're 26th offensively, 20th passing, 27th rushing, and the 30th overall defense. It's crazy that they're 27th rushing as great as James Robinson has been playing. Just it's it's all bad across the board. So this is the third meeting between teams with one team with a nine-game winning streak and one team with an eight-game losing streak in NFL history. The team on the winning streak has won the previous two by 15-plus points. So that sounds pretty good for me. Hopefully it's a blowout again so I can kind of focus on other games and I don't have to just sit on the edge of my couch for 60 minutes hoping that the Steelers don't lose to the Jacksonville Jaguars. So Jacksonville, they've been tied or leading in the fourth quarter in three of the last four games versus teams over 500 in 2020. So they're playing tough. You got to give them that. Doug Marone is coaching them up. Honestly, you look at a team that's one and eight, you probably figure they're not in many games at all, especially against games that are against teams that are over 500 and playing for a playoff spot. They're hanging tough and a couple throws here, a couple plays there, a couple tackles missed here. They have a lot better record than they than they do now, and they're probably they're possibly competing for the seventh seed in the AFC. But as it stands, they're one and eight, and you know they're they're still they're playing really hard. So I guess you got you really have to tip your cap to Doug Marone, who hasn't really been the greatest head coach the past couple of years, and he's done a really good job this year coaching them. Even though he's one and eight, he's still done a good job coaching them. And Pitt, this is the first team since 1948 the Pittsburgh Steelers are to win three straight games while rushing for less than 50 yards. So that hasn't been done since 1948. The Lions did it. So, again, this is the talk of Big Ben kind of holding this team back is absolutely insane. I I don't know how you watch them every week and think, yeah, Big Ben's the problem. Um, I know he hasn't been the sharpest every single game, but when it's coming to crunch time and they've needed to win football games, Big Ben has been just amazing. I mean, Pittsburgh, they've won the last five. Five of the nine games they've won have been one-possession games, and they've all been because of Big Ben making plays down the stretch. You watch that Baltimore game in Baltimore. He just completely put on a clink in the second half to put them over the top and win that football game, and he did the same thing against Dallas. He was really sharp against Cincinnati this week. He made some pretty boneheaded plays against Tennessee, but for the majority of that game, he put him in position to win. So I think Tennessee, the fourth quarter in Tennessee was probably the only week where you're like, oh, Big Ben's holding this team back, or he was just terrible. I think that was the only game you can honestly point to that. So I don't know why that's still a conversation that we need to have, but I think it's pretty insane. And I'm kind of confused about the him not being the lock for a comeback player of the year. I mean, we're talking about Alex Smith as comeback player of the year. But I mean, that's cool. I mean, it's it's a beautiful story that he he came back from whatever, but he's not winning any football games. He's, I mean, Big Ben is 9-0. He's about to be 10-0. He could potentially have a 16-0 season. If if they beat Baltimore on Thanksgiving Day, I don't see them losing to anybody else. I really don't. Uh, Buffalo is probably the closest one where it's like, mm, maybe, but I still, I don't, I don't think they lose another game. I think Turkey Day against Baltimore next week, I think that's the biggest challenge for them to go 16-0. And if they beat Baltimore, nobody's stopping them. Nobody's beating them from being 16 and 0, but that doesn't matter. They were just talking about it. It doesn't matter. It's all all that matters is winning the Super Bowl. 
And I have this Pittsburgh Steelers banner right in front of me that I'm staring at at my other wall here. 16-time Super Bowl champion banner. It's got all their Super Bowls on it. I knew as soon as I bought this thing, I'm like, they're going to win the Super Bowl this year because this is going to be obsolete. I'm going to have to buy another one. That's exactly what's going to happen. It's my luck every single time. I guarantee it. So that was, honestly, that was part of my thinking of when I picked the Pittsburgh Steelers to win the Super Bowl a couple months ago. It was like, I bought a banner that says they're six-time Super Bowl champions. They're going to be seven-time now, and I'm going to look like an idiot having that hanging up on my wall. So, uh, I mean, Chase Claypool, I mean, ESPN just came out with a ranking of the top 10 rookies this season, and he wasn't even on the list. What the fuck are we doing? He has nine touchdowns. He has nine total touchdowns in nine games. When he's, there are, there are points in this, on like, games this season where he is dominating on offense and he's not even on the list. Like, what the fuck are we doing? Really? We're talking about Justin Jefferson, offensive rookie of the year. We're talking about Joe Burrow. We're talking about Justin Herbert. Why don't we talk about the guy with nine touchdowns? Nine. He has nine touchdowns in nine career games. Only Jim Brown has a higher touchdown to game average in the NFL, in NFL history. It's insane what this kid's doing, but nope, we're not going to talk about him. So we're not talking about Big Ben for Comeback Player of the Year. Honestly, he should be in the MVP conversation as well. We're not going to go there either. But we're not going to talk about Chase Claypool possibly being Offensive Rookie of the Year either. So, oh well, whatever. And we're still talking about Miles Garrett being Defensive Player of the Year, not TJ Watt. I just, I don't understand it. It's it's really, it's very strange how how this team is being covered and talked about as a 9-0 football team. But they're kind of, they're not, they're not a real 9-0 football team. That's what I've been hearing. It's like, I, I think they are real because there's really zero losses. So they really are undefeated. It's crazy. They really haven't lost a game. So I don't understand what a real 9-0 team is, but whatever. Moving on to the 3-5-1 Philadelphia Eagles at the 6-3 Cleveland Browns. So, man, fucking Philadelphia. So, I guess I'm kind of glad that I didn't record this right away because Sunday I was furious uh, and I knew I kept, I, I've said that I don't care about the Philadelphia Eagles anymore and I'm not going to let them bother me. I don't care what Carson Wentz does. I don't care anymore. I was furious watching that game. I was absolutely livid at how poor they played defensively and especially offensively. They were really bad offensively. I mean, Wentz was, he was all over the place. He was so erratic and I just, I don't understand it really. And, you know, I was listening to part of my take with, you know, with Barstool's podcast. And they were talking about, you know, Big Cat says, you know, the Giants are a good, they're a goodish team now. And I, I kind of laugh at it. But now you think about it, like every single game they've been in, every single game this year, it's been a one possession game. They just beat Philadelphia. They should have beaten Philadelphia on Thursday Night Football a couple of weeks ago. They held Tampa Bay to one of their worst outings of the season. They played Pittsburgh really hard, a 9-0 Pittsburgh team on Monday Night Football to open the season. Is this team, is, I think this team is honestly, right now, they're the best team in the NFC East. They're still second place, but they're right behind Philadelphia. I think Daniel Jones is, honestly, I make fun of Daniel Jones so much. I've done it every single week. I've talked about the Giants, but he's the best quarterback in the division right now. He's better than Andy Dalton, right? He's better than Carson Wentz. That's for damn sure. Everybody's better than Carson Wentz right now. Carson Wentz has been awful, absolutely awful. And I, I could see the Giants winning the NFC East for real. I I just don't think Philadelphia deserves it. I don't think they've. They're just not playing well enough to. This is a division of like a division winner. This is a team that deserves a playoff home playoff game. It's just, it's a disaster. And I couldn't believe the Philadelphia lost to the Giants. Like. 
But that's just that's how poor this team has been playing, and it's all on Carson Wentz's shoulders. He's just not he's just not playing well at all, man. He he missed way too many throws and way too many easy throws just by really bad mechanics, horrible fundamentals. It's just it's the same story, just a different week. And he comes in against Cleveland, who won a really gutsy, like hard nose fought win against the Houston Texans at home, ten to seven. This one was. Boy, it was tough. it was hard to watch. There wasn't a whole lot of excitement going on, but Miles Garrett made a lot of insane plays that a man his size should make, catching Deshaun Watson and keeping him from really just running all over the place. It's it's insane the plays that Miles Garrett makes at his size. He's a freak of nature, but the defense played really well against Houston. Their game plan kind of sucked. They kind of they couldn't run the football. It was a super windy day. Like it was insane how windy it was. So you weren't going to be able to make a lot of big passing plays down the field, and Houston was still trying to do that. They can't get any running game going, especially with David Johnson out. They weren't doing anything with him in there, but with just Duke Johnson being the lead guy, there was just nowhere for them to run the football. So it was a really rough day, and Nick Chubb came back off the IR, gave him that shot in the arm. He just carried him to a win, and they got a nice two-headed monster back again with Kareem Hunt back there, and they got Nick Chubb up there, and you have that running game going. It takes so much pressure off Baker Mayfield to do. Literally, he has to do nothing. Just don't turn the ball over, and you'll win the game, just like they did 10-7. to They win that football game because Baker was really just smart with the football. He didn't do anything dumb. He just he took what was there, and then he handed the ball off. That's all you got to do, man. That's it. That's all he's got to do on this offense, especially with OBJ being out. That's all he has to do. So For this one, though, it's a big hit. I was just talking about Miles Garrett. Miles Garrett is now on the COVID reserve list. He got put on the list. Friday night. So he's not playing. That's going to be a huge blow for Cleveland's defense and kind of a sigh of relief for Carson Wentz. I was kind of worried for the guy. I didn't know if he would make it out alive uh, after this week, the way that the O-line is protecting, the way Miles Garrett is getting after the quarterback. It was going to be a recipe for disaster for Carson Wentz, but thankfully he does not have to worry about that, but he will still somehow suck, so it doesn't really matter. Philadelphia comes in with the 29th ranked offense, and 28th passing, 13th rushing, 9th defensively. I mean, 28th passing. Again, I know the receiving core has been the greatest. You're missing Zach Ertz. I get it. Dallas Goddard's been out most of the year. But this is a guy that he was a no-doubt top 10 quarterback in the league coming in the year. I mean, Dan Orlowski was saying he was a top 5 quarterback in the league. He was over Aaron Rodgers. Like, this is the talent that we've seen. We've seen him do it before, and it's just not there. I don't know what's happened to him. But he stinks. And I don't know if Philly needs to start deciding if they're going to move on from him or not. I think if you lose this game, it might be Jalen Hurts' time. See what you got with Jalen Hurts. Why not? It's not going to get any worse. I mean, as bad as he's playing, Carson Wentz now has 13 turnover-worthy plays. Like, no one has over six. It's it's a disaster. Even when he has a clean pocket, he's still overthrowing guys. He's underthrowing guys. It's He's missing guys on checkdowns, like five five yards from him it's just it's this stuff that NFL caliber quarterbacks make every single Sunday and Carson Wentz just isn't doing it so I don't know if if they lose to Cleveland which I think they will Garrett or not I think it's I think it's time I think it's time to uh, see what Jalen Hurts is all about man I I really do Uh, I just don't know what you're waiting for you know if they lose this football game I I don't know what you're waiting for I really don't so whatever Cleveland they're 23rd offensively 30th passing, 4th rushing, 14th defensively. So the defense is starting to play a little bit better. They're giving up a lot less big plays. 
Anthony Sandeo starting to play a little bit better in coverage there on the back end. So the defense is starting to improve a little bit. I don't know how it's going to look without Miles Garrett attacking the quarterback this week, but I wouldn't really worry about it too much if I was Cleveland. I'm not worried about anything that Philadelphia is doing offensively. So I guess you're, you, I guess you're fine. I, I wouldn't worry about anything that they're doing besides Miles Sanders. Miles Sanders looked really good last week, but it's still another game where I'm yelling at the television where he's not getting the football enough. He just, he doesn't get the football enough. It's insane. Every time he gets the ball, something good happens, and then he just doesn't touch the ball. They just give it to Boston Scott or Carson Wentz throws it at the ground. So, uh, whatever, man. So Philadelphia, they've won five straight versus Cleveland. So Carson Wentz. He is the only quarterback in 2020 to start every single game and have a sub-100 passer rating in all of them. He's the only guy. The only guy. Carson Wentz. He's been terrible. He has just been terrible. I don't know what else to... I just... I can't keep piling on him, I guess. So I'm just gonna... I'm just gonna... No, I'm not... That's it. I'm just gonna give you that one to keep it moving. So Miles Sanders. I was talking about how he doesn't get the ball enough. So Sanders is the first running back since Brandon Jacobs in 2010 to have 80-plus yards on 15 or fewer carries in three straight games. Just give him the damn ball, man. And it would make Carson Wentz's life so much easier if they just ran the football consistently. If they just ran the football, they would take so much pressure off Carson Wentz. And the receiving core that isn't good enough, right? That's You know what isn't any good, so run the football. Nope. Do exactly what Stefanski's doing. No Odell? Okay. Jarvis Landry kind of stinks? Yeah. Okay, well... Let's just run the ball 6,000 times and have Baker throw it 14 times. It works. It's a recipe for success. They should try it. Ugh, man. So Baker Mayfield, he enters the game on a career-long two-game streak without throwing a touchdown pass. So they're winning games without him even throwing touchdown passes. He doesn't have to do anything. All he has to do, not throw interceptions. That's all he has to do. Turn around, get that ball right in the belly of Nick Chubb or Kareem Hunt, and you're good. That was a really great job, Baker. Good job. I mean, as long as they're punting and they're not turning the ball over, they're putting their defense in not shitty positions like they've done the three games that they've lost this year. This is a good, this, this is a 10-win football team with that kind of recipe. Like, that recipe works. I know everyone wants to throw for 400 yards and all, all these touchdown passes and spread them out and do a lot of college stuff. You literally, all you have to do is just have a tight end, a fullback out there, and just run the ball nonstop and only throw the ball a couple times, you could still win. You could still win that way. I know it's insane to think, but you could still win that way. So uh, let's look at these two quarterbacks kind of comparison-wise. So Carson went 58% completion percentage, 232 pass yards per game, 12 touchdowns, 12 picks. He's got a 73 quarterback rating. For Baker Mayfield, 61 completion percentage, 182.9 yards per game. 15 touchdowns, 7 picks. He's got a 90 quarterback rating. So Baker is getting crushed for the way he's playing, honestly. Most people are saying he's not playing well enough, blah, 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 blah. He's still putting up better numbers than Carson Wentz. And a lot of people are still trying to make excuses for Carson Wentz, blah, 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 blah. I don't want to hear it. He's playing like shit. I don't know what else to tell you. So he doesn't get a pass. You got to play better, man. It's it's plain and simple. And is this the week where Carson kind of gets his shit together? Uh, I don't know. Maybe. Again, without Miles Garrett, I think I think he has got a chance to kind of be upright for a good amount of this game. Maybe make a couple plays. I don't know, but both of these quarterbacks they need to start playing a little bit better. Um, you know, you there's going to get to the point where everyone's just going to stack the box and be like, "Okay, Baker, beat us." You got one on one on the outside, and you got one over top. You got to make a play. And Baker hasn't done that a whole lot this year, so well, I mean, we'll see what happens. This Philly defense is pretty good against the run. They weren't very good last week against Wayne Gallman and Daniel Jones again. I was talking about Daniel Jones and like 
his yards per carry as a quarterback is like the most since Michael Vick, but he did it again, a long 64-yard touchdown. This time he didn't fall over like a toddler with a big head, so I don't know. This game is going to be pretty brutal to watch, honestly, so God bless whoever's going to sit there and watch it for 60 minutes. Next game, we'll get into the 6-3 Tennessee Titans at the 6-3 Baltimore Ravens. I think this is also good that I kind of took some time away from breaking this game down or talking about the Ravens game because, boy, this week has been so miserable about people talking about this Ravens team. It's it's disgusting, but we'll get into this real quick. So both of these teams are into the week off of dis- disappointing primetime losses. So Tennessee, they lost at home versus division rival Indianapolis Colts, 34-17. And then Baltimore, they lost in a monsoon in Foxborough to New England, 23-17 on Sunday night football. It was, I mean, that weather was insane. And that entire game, it played right into the hands of New England. Everything that I said that I laid out were New England could potentially win the game if they did this, this, and this. That's exactly what went in their direction, man. They sustained drives. They kept Lamar off the field. Cam was pretty sharp. He didn't turn the ball over. New England didn't turn the ball over in general. They didn't make any stupid plays. They ran the shit out of the football. And they just they did what they needed to do, and they won the football game. They had a nice... Josh McDaniels had a nice gadget play for Jacoby Myers to throw a touchdown to Rex Burkhead. I mean, it was creativity. It looks like they've kind of found something there. But Baltimore, man, eh, they still should have won that football game. Uh, you know, Lamar threw the one pick, and people were crushing him for it. And I mean, it's, Jackson ran the route for goddamn Marquise Brown. I mean, he ran the route for him. And what, what was Lamar supposed to do there? He put the ball where Marquise Brown's supposed to be, and he didn't run the route. I mean... If you're going to let the corner run the route for you, what is Lamar supposed to do there? I know. Uh, it's just like, what did you expect to happen? And Skura is, he can't even get the snap to Lamar without it being at his feet or it's on the ground. It's just, it throws the rhythm off this passing game. It throws the rhythm off the entire offense. It's, it's just, it's not good. And I mean, the defense couldn't stop Damien Harris from running the football. I mean, you knew that New England was going to run the football the entire time and, they still couldn't get a stop, and Clay's Campbell and Brandon, Brandon Williams were missing, but still, you got to. I mean, this offense has been pretty bad in New England, and they still just, they really didn't get a real stop when they need one. And the fourth and one call with Mark Ingram in the Wildcat. What the fuck is that? Why would you take the ball to Lamar's hands? Why would you do that? Especially the way Skura is snapping the ball. Why would you do that? I didn't understand it. Fourth and one, you're going to just put Mark, Mark Ingram back there, and there you go. Skura. Throws it right past him, and there it is. You put New England right in scoring territory. Like, what? It was just a stupid call. I had no problem with him going for it in fourth and one, but stop taking the ball out of Lamar's hands. Stop taking the ball out of these quarterbacks' hands with these Wildcats and this dumbass shit like that. Like, ugh. I think Lamar is one of the most successful quarterbacks at third and one, fourth and ones in the league. And that's even compared to like running backs. He's one of the highest percentage dudes in the league of converting that, and you take the ball out of his hands. In that condition, with the way Skura is snapping the ball, just a dumbass idea by Greg Roman. Just horrible play calling. Just really bad, man. And I, these off this offense needs a guy. I don't know how many times I need to say it. Like I just, they don't have a guy. They don't have a receiver where it's like, man, we really got to pay attention to that guy. No, you don't, man. Like Willie Sneed is the most consistent receiver that they have. Really, I mean, he's the only guy who doesn't drop the ball. Like Mark Andrews would drop really easy balls for no reason, and. 
Marquise Brown, he's not that great of a route runner. He's really not. Like, these corners are running his route for him. He's not getting open all the time. And he's bitching about getting the ball. Well, like, run better routes. You'll be open more. And I don't know, man. A lot of these Baltimore fans are really spoiled. I mean, some of these guys who are younger than me, you know, I'm I'm almost 30 here, and I remember watching Elvis Gerback play quarterback here. Tony Banks play quarterback here. Cordell Stewart at the end of his career play here. I mean, Chris Redman. These quarterbacks were terrible. They were awful. And you're going to bitch about Lamar Jackson. Like, really, dude? Come on, man. Come on. Really. You watch Kyle, I should have been a fucking bowler. And you want to compa- you want to complain about Lamar Jackson. Really. You've got to be fucking kidding me, man. And after they lose the game on Sunday, oh, Flacco would have won that game. No, he wouldn't. He wouldn't have won that game. He wouldn't. You know why? Because he's 2-12 and in his last 14 fucking starts. But we're still talking about that guy. The guy hasn't been relevant in years. We're still talking about Joe Flacco around here. Like, let it fucking go. Let it go, dude. He won a Super Bowl six years for you. He played the best games he's ever played in his life. Cool, man. Move on. Just move on. Let it go. It's so annoying. Every time Lamar does something not that great. Oh, Flacco. I miss Flacco. No, you fucking don't. Because you bitched every day after every Sunday. He was mediocre. He wasn't that great. Captain Checkdown, all that shit. Just throw it up there and get a P.I. That's all Flacco did. That's all you guys complained about all the time. But now, we got shit on Lamar. We got to talk about Flacco. This fan base gets on my nerves so much. I hate living around here. It's so annoying, man. So annoying. Nothing is ever good enough. These motherfuckers, they act like they've been in the cellar this year. You're 6-3. and 6-3. and three. You've lost five regular season games in over two years, and you're complaining. God, it's so sickening, dude. And like... With that being said, I like I want them to lose all the time now because it's just they don't deserve anything. I'm sorry. It's so annoying that you have to complain about stuff, especially Lamar after the year he just gave you the year that he's what what he's doing right now with not a whole lot. I'll tell you that much. And the talk of Kyler Murray would have this team further or whatever. You're insane. You're insane. You know what covers up a lot of Kyler Murray's blemishes? Like I was talking about last week, he has DeAndre fucking Hopkins. And he has that Cliff Kingsbury offense, which is insane. I think I could probably throw for 3,000 yards in that offense. Honestly, I mean, I just don't know what you want Lamar to do. I don't know why you, I don't know how you could possibly go back and watch that game and go, man, Lamar's just a running back. We got to get a, I wish we had a real quarterback. You're a dumbass. I don't know what to, I don't know what to tell you. I really don't, man, but I really got really derailed there. Sorry. So, Tennessee, they are 14th offensively coming into this game. They are 25th passing, 6th rushing, 21st defensively. Baltimore, 22nd offensively, 31st passing. They're now 1st in rushing because of Arizona's 57-yard outing against Seattle on Thursday night. So, Baltimore is now your number 1 rushing team in the league. And this is the 6th overall defense. So, Tennessee, they enter week 11 with a 76.5 red zone touchdown percentage. That is by far the highest in the NFL. So Tannehill hasn't been playing great the past four games. We'll get into the offense here shortly with, you know, between the 5-0 and start and what they've been the past couple weeks. But Tannehill has still been historically efficient in the red zone. Baltimore, on the other end of that, they allow a 76.2 red zone touchdown percentage, which is the highest in the NFL. So over the years, Baltimore's kind of their strength was this is a really strong defensive team. But if they ever did allow someone in the red zone, they didn't allow touchdowns. They only allowed field goals or they took the football away. That's just not happening this year. They are allowing touchdowns at a very, very high rate. So 
This this does not line up as a good game here for Baltimore. It really doesn't. Uh, coming off the way that they let Damian Harris run all over them, you got Henry coming to town, man. That's that's really tough. And I hope that the offense is sharp and they keep drives sustained so they can keep Derrick Henry off the field. But man, uh, I I don't. There might be a repeat performance of what happened in January if they just. It's going to be tough for them to stop Henry, man. It really is. It was going to be tough with Calais and Brandon Williams there, but if they're both out, it's man, it's going to be really tough. It's going to be a really tough outing. Uh, it's going to be really tough. So I hope I hope Lamar puts some drives together. I hope they have a nice game plan to keep some drives going here. So Derrick Henry, he is on pace to be the first player since Tiki Barber and Larry Johnson in 2005 and 2006 to average 100-plus rush yards per game. So... That's what's coming to town here, and I tell you what, this is something that's not really surprising, but Derrick Henry is a million times better than Damian Harris, so we'll see what happens. Um, I I don't know. I, I think if Tennessee is smart, and this is kind of like what I was talking about before they played Cincinnati, I said you should run Derrick Henry about 35 times or until his legs fall off, and they didn't. They passed the ball a lot and they ended up losing that game for no reason this is a game where Ryan Tannehill shouldn't throw the ball much at all especially the way he's been playing lately I mean uh, so Tennessee they have a plus 10 turnover differential in the NFL that is the highest in the league so they are very they're a very efficient team and you know when they go through these spurts where they're not scoring a lot of points it's not because they're turning the ball over a bunch or they're making really bad plays it's just sometimes they just get stuck in the mud and when you're really run dominant team, sometimes that's what happens. And but Ryan Tannehill, he's not turning the ball over. He's not doing that, and that's really helping them out a lot because his defense isn't very good at all. They don't take the ball away a whole lot, but the fact that they're plus ten, that I think they only have like eight giveaways this year. I think them and Green Bay are like the only teams that are like below ten giveaways this year. So they're taking really good care of the ball, but they're they're just not scoring a whole lot this year. So. The first five games, though, when they were 5-0, and they were averaging 32 points per game, 432 yards per game, 256 passing yards per game. So the last four, they have a 1-3 and record now, 21 points per game, 313 total yards per game, and only 176 pass yards per game. They're just not getting those big explosive pass plays to A.J. Brown like they were the first five weeks of the season. So Tannehill's got to be sharp. He's got to be really sharp, especially this week against this Ravens secondary. But that shouldn't be an issue. It should be, Derrick Henry, are you tired? No? Okay, keep running, dude. Just don't stop running. Just keep running. If if they can win first and second down Tennessee the way that New England did, where they put themselves in third and shorts nonstop, it's, it's going to be a pretty good day for Tennessee. But on the other end, is Tennessee going to be able to stop Lamar from running all over them? Or the Ravens going to throw it 70 fucking times for no reason? That's, that'll be remained to seen. I still can't believe January happened last year. It's kind of, what the, I still can't believe they threw, they called 70 passing plays. 70, the most historic rushing offense we've ever seen in NFL fucking history. 70 pass plays. What are you doing? I, I hope that's not what happens again. I hope both these teams aren't stupid and throw the ball a whole lot for no reason. That Sunday night football game, uh, the weather sucked, and what it was a thing of beauty how quick that game moved. Oh my god, it was it was barely what two forty five? Is that what it was? I think it was like two hours and forty five minutes. 
just sharp, just shoo, before you knew it, it was halftime. Before you knew it, it was the fourth quarter. It was absolutely beautiful. That's the way, that's the pace that this Tennessee and Baltimore game should go. I don't know. Both these offensive coordinators sometimes do some pretty wonky things for no reason. So unless remain to be seen. So we'll we'll see here. So Lamar, I mean, he has a sub one hundred passer rating in five straight games. It's tied for the longest streak of his career. So I mean, by any means, Lamar is not playing up to snuff of what his MVP season was. No shit. Nobody expected him to. Well, at least I hope not. It, he was out of this world last year. And, you know, I, I'm the biggest Lamar dude in the world. But for him to replicate what he did last year, throwing the football, that wasn't going to happen. I mean, that wasn't something where he'd be like, oh, yeah, that's sustainable. I mean, it wasn't. It really wasn't. I mean, he's not, he's not Peyton Manning throwing the football. We know that shit. But the offense is not helping him out a lot. And the receivers aren't helping him out a lot. Again, I really wish, God, I really wish they would have got Antonio Brown. That would have made Lamar's life so much easier. That would have made that run game's life so much easier. And uh, it just, it's, it's, it's tough to watch this Baltimore offense right now because they're still, they're trying to figure out what to do. And Greg Roman said that they might be a difference in philosophy, maybe because they lost Nick Boyle, who is the best blocking tight end in the league. He's their best blocker, so that that kind of hurts a lot of things that they want to do offensively. So maybe they're going to be a lot more, I don't know, creative offensively with their passing plays. But I don't know, something's got to, they got to shake something up here or just unleash Lamar, just let Lamar run nonstop and just him and J.K. Dobbins. Uh, I think I think the time is kind of. You got to move on from Mark Ingram here. Just give it all to J.K. Dobbins. J.K. Dobbins has been phenomenal every time he touches the football. Just, just let J.K. Dobbins and Gus Edwards have all the touches. There's really, there's no need to have Mark Ingram back there. There really isn't. Uh, uh, but some good news. So John Harbaugh, he is five and one versus teams that he lost to the previous postseason. And Harbaugh has decided to go with Bradley Bozeman at center. Skrull will move to that guard spot. So they'll just swap spots. It needed to be done. The past couple of weeks, Skura has been awful snapping the football. It is really hurting this offense. It killed them. It killed them, killed them, killed them on Sunday night football against New England. So the second to last drive that Baltimore had, the the legitimate drive that they had to kind of win that football game, Skura's snap there just completely took them out of rhythm and completely just it it fucked them there. And there was nothing they could do to come back from that snap and it made it like third and twenty-three. What are you supposed to do there? You had to punt the football back, you got the ball back with fifty seconds left and no t- and like one timeout. So I mean and it somehow started raining harder with that. I mean, Bilichek is a goddamn wizard. He's controlling the weather and shit. It's it just it wasn't a recipe for there was no way Baltimore was gonna really win that football game. Everything that was stacked against them that way, it was just, it was just it was a bad loss. It is what it is, but they're still six and three. Like fucking relax, everybody around here. Jesus Christ, it's nauseating. So uh we'll move on to the next game. Two two win football teams here, so this still should be a pretty exciting game, though. These offenses are really starting to move the past couple of weeks. So Cincinnati, 2-6-1 at the 2-7 Washington football team, who reports are coming out that Jason Wright says he kind of likes the football team name, and he's probably going to stick with it, which is the dumbest thing I've heard. But whatever, we'll get into this game here. So both teams, they're coming off a loss. Cincinnati got shellacked in Pittsburgh. They've lost 10 straight to Pittsburgh. So again, we can stop calling that a rivalry. It's just, you know, they play in the same division. And then... 
Washington, they lose a heartbreaker. They fight and claw their way back against Detroit in Detroit. And then Matt Prater hits an absolute bomb from 59 as time expires to win the game 30 to 27. Alex Smith, he put up a three, a, a career high in completions and yards. So he's playing pretty good football here. And defense, it struggled at times last week, especially against the run. DeAndre Swift was all over running all over them, but this is still the fifth best defense in the league statistically. Falk Smith can kind of clean up some turnovers. He's had some bad turnovers early in games, and he's starting to climb back later on in the games to make these games competitive. But I don't know. I mean, this is going to be tough for Cincinnati. So Joe Mixon, he's out again. And then before I started recording, Zach Taylor said that he is putting Mixon on the IR. So he's going to miss the next three games at least. So that's a pretty big shot for the Cincinnati offense here. So Cincinnati, they are the 19th offense in the league. They are 17th passing, 24th rushing, and the 22nd overall defense. Washington, they are the 30th offense, 21st passing, 30th rushing, and the 5th overall defense, like I said. So this is a matchup between number 1 and number 2 in the 2020 draft, Joe Burrow versus Chase Young. Since 1970, the second overall pick, they are 14-7 and in such games. So it's pretty good news for Washington here. So the football team, they allow an NFL low 194.7 pass yards per game. Scary Terry's Terry McLaurin is on pace to become the first Washington wide receiver to finish in the top five of receiving yards since Santana Moss in 2005. So even with the carousel of quarterbacks that have been going on in Washington from Haskins to Allen to Smith and then back to Allen and now it's back to Smith again. Terry McLaurin has been fantastic. He has been so fun to watch. He has been head and shoulders their best player all year. And, you know, hopefully Alex Smith keeps peppering him a target. It seems like he's being quite the check down Charlie here and just throwing it to J.D. McKissick nonstop. But Terry McLaurin, whenever he does get the ball, he is making things happen for this Washington offense. Even though they're 30th in the league, not a lot of things happen for them. But whatever they do get, it's all because of Terry McLaurin. And as I was talking about J.D. McKissick, him... Alvin Kamara, Mike Davis, they're the only running backs with 40-plus receiving, 40-plus receptions so far this season. Alex Smith, he's thrown for over 325 yards in two straight games. Cincinnati has allowed a top-seven fantasy quarterback in four straight games. So Alex Smith is probably one of those guys you could stream this week if you really wanted to, if you're that desperate. J.D. McKissick is a guy that has a really high, he has a really high floor because this is going to be a shootout, I guarantee it. Because he's going to get a lot of receptions, and he does a lot of great things after the catch. So, this is a lot of fantasy could go on in this game here, but it's going to be pretty hard to watch, honestly. But moving on, there's not a lot to take from that game. This game, it literally doesn't matter at all. So, move on to the next game: the three and six Atlanta Falcons at the seven two New Orleans Saints. So, Atlanta they come to Superdome off their bye week. New Orleans they're coming off a win against San Francisco. 27 to 13, but not all is great because Drew Brees, he left at halftime of that game. He took a he took a shot. Turns out he broke five ribs, has a collapsed lung, so he's on the IR. All right, so it's Jameis time, right? Nope. Sean Payton is going with his golden boy, Taysom Hill, the future of the NFL at the ripe age of 30 years old. He is making his first NFL start, even though they brought Jameis Winston in to be Drew Brees' backup. Um doesn't make any goddamn sense to me, but I guess if you think about it, New Orleans did give him a contract extension in Taysom Hill, 
I mean, I guess you should kind of think if he is going to be potentially the quarterback of your future. Um, he's 100% not. I think everybody knows that except for Sean Payton, but I guess we'll find out. I really hope he just stinks it up against Atlanta. I don't know what it is, but I don't like Taysom Hill. If you haven't noticed yet by listening, I'm not a big fan of his, so it'd be kind of funny if he stinks it up against Atlanta, but Atlanta is, you know, giving up 300-yard passers every single week. So, uh, I mean, hopefully this will probably end up working out for Sean Payton and Taysom Hill, but uh, I don't know. So, uh, I just, I can't believe, I I saw that alert. It was like Taysom Hill starting. I was like, at quarterback, like for real? Or is he like playing tight end like fantasy football or something? No, he's going to play starting quarterback and James is going to be the backup. It's like, why? Why? Why did you bring James here? Like, what was the point of that? If, Never mind. This is the exact scenario you brought him in for, like Teddy Bridgewater last year, right? I'm, so Taysom, Taysom Hill's a guy. Okay, so Atlanta, this is the eighth overall offense. They're fifth in the passing, 21st rushing, 28th overall defense. It's not really surprising. New Orleans, 15th offensively, 16th passing, 15th rushing, and the third overall defense. So Atlanta's playing some pretty good football here. This is some classic Atlanta stuff we're seeing here. They've won three of the four under Raheem Morris, so... Regime change needed to happen. Probably should have happened last year when they started off. I think they were 0-5 last year, too, and Dan Quinn still kept his job. Didn't make any sense, but they look better under Raheem Morris. I mean, they're averaging 30 points per game since Morris took over. Atlanta, they are 7-2 in their final eight games of the season since 2019. They are 3-13 in the first eight games the past two years. So Atlanta is doing that classic, just a tradition unlike any other the past couple years where they suck out of the gates and you think, all right, they're going to get a top 10 pick. At least they can get a top five pick and they can really improve this roster around Matt Ryan and Julio Jones. And then they go on a run that makes them get a middle of the pack fucking draft pick. It's it's incredible that they do it. They've done it almost every year now since they've been to the Super Bowl. It's it's hilarious how they just, they shoot themselves in their foot, in their own foot. So uh, I don't know. So Atlanta is going to go on quite the heroic run here to end the year. They do it every year. They're going to go on a nice win streak, and you're like, why did you do that again? But whatever. They're playing hard for Raheem Morris, so you got to give them that. New Orleans, they have won. They're on a six-game winning streak right now. They are on a four-game streak of allowing under 25 points, and they've gone 40 straight games now without allowing a 100 rusher. And a crazy stat that I didn't think was actually real. So Alvin Kamara, zero career touchdowns versus Atlanta in six career games. I think that's going to change quite a bit. Uh, That's going to need to change if New Orleans is going to win this football game because it certainly isn't going to be on the shoulders of Taysom Hill. There's no goddamn way that's going to happen. You're going to see a lot of stupid wildcats. and It's going to be a pretty painful game to watch, honestly, on New Orleans and... uh, on offense, because it's always fun to watch Matt Ryan and Julio Jones and Calvin Ridley and all them move up and down the field. It's going to be pretty rough to watch Taysom Hill out there at quarterback. I am going to be watching every second of it to hope that he fails, fails miserably. So, next game we'll get into the four and five New England Patriots at the two and seven Houston Texans. I almost said the Astros, the Houston Texans. So, New England, we talked about it earlier against Baltimore. They come off a big win. So, I'm starting to get into it. It looks like. Looks like, I mean, Chris Collins was talking about this. It looks like New England has found a style that could work. Running the football a lot. Putting Cam Newton in very manageable third-down situations. 
not making him do anything too crazy, throwing the ball too far down the field because they just don't they don't have the weapons to do it. So short intermediate passing game with a very run heavy philosophy, running the clock, keeping the chains moving, keeping that other offense off the field to kind of protect that defense, which is we're gonna look at it. It's twelfth in the league, but it's not playing up to the standard of the twelfth overall defense. They're giving up a lot of big plays. You saw what Flacco was doing on Monday Night Football with the Jets. It was a fucking nightmare. Their defense hasn't played very well. But if you keep them off the field, they're not going to give up any points that way. So if Cam can hold on to the football, you make the right decisions like he did against Baltimore. This is a recipe that could work. And New England, look out. They could make a run here. You got a couple cupcakes coming up here. They can get back to over 500, and they can they can possibly make a run here. So we'll see. Um, don't slam the door yet on Billy Belichick. So. Houston, they're back home after a 10-7 loss at Cleveland that we got into. Just a rough day to throw the football. It was just it was a nasty, nasty day in Cleveland. The game was delayed by 35 minutes or so before kickoff because there was a lot of lightning and a lot of stuff going on there. So it just it was a rough day to throw the football and Houston doesn't have a run game, so that's just it was a, a recipe for disaster there. So New England coming into this game. As bad as they've been playing, this is still the 20th overall offense, 29th passing, their second rushing, and they have the 12th overall defense, like I alluded to earlier. Houston, their 21st offensively, 12th passing, though, 31st rushing, and the 27th overall defense. So the philosophies of these two offenses are polar opposites. One wants to throw the ball, air raid kind of attack with Deshaun Watson. The other one's like, we're going to run it nonstop, and then we're going to punt, and hopefully we get into the end zone at some point. So... New England, they are averaging 161 rush yards per game. Houston, they allow 164.7 rush yards per game, which would be the most in team history. So this is a franchise worst rush defense. It's really bad. So it's all lining up for Cam and them just to run nonstop down their throat and kind of win a football game here. That's what it, that's what it feels like could happen here. So Damian Harris, he has 100-plus rushing yards in three of six games so far that he's played in the season. They did just activate Sony Michelle off the IR, so it looks like he is going to get some playing time. So that backfield gets even more disgusting to deal with with Rex Burkhead, Damian Harris, now Sony Michelle, James White's in there as well. It's just oh, what a fantasy disaster. I picked up Sony Michelle and then I was like, no, I'm going to drop him. I want nothing to do with that. I had Damian Harris too. I dropped him the week before he played Baltimore because I was like, he's not going to run that well. And Sony Michelle's coming back. I want nothing to do with that. So just gross. I'm wiping my hands of that. So New England, they're only averaging 21 points per game. That is the lowest since 2000 when that was Bill Belichick's first year in New England. Houston, they're on pace to join the 08 Lions in the last 25 years to finish last in rush defense and opponent passer rating. So this is a good defense for New England to kind of keep the good things coming from what they had on Sunday Night Football. This isn't going to be a team that's going to put New England in a lot of tough situations, but the 0-9 Jets shouldn't have put them in bad situations, but they did in that first half of football on Monday Night Football. So I don't know. This... This offense is a crapshoot, but if they keep doing what they did against Baltimore, this team should win a lot more football games coming up here shortly. So there's not too much to get into that one. It's, it's tough to kind of get excited for that game because there's a, just so much that has to happen for New England to make a legitimate run at a playoff spot here. So, but there, I mean, we're not going to get in those scenarios unless they win this game here this tomorrow, actually. So ugh, I don't know. It's, it's kind of depressing talking about both of those teams because I'm a big fan of both those quarterbacks and just those situations just aren't any good. So 
Next game went into the four and five Detroit Lions. Somehow the four and five Detroit Lions at the three and seven Carolina Panthers. So Detroit, they're coming off the nail biter against Washington that I talked about. 30 to 27. Matt Prater's absolute bomb that he hit from the parking lot with double zeros on the clock. Carolina, they're licking their wounds off of ass beating that they took at the hands of Tom Brady and the Buccaneers at home last week, 46 to 23. That game got out of hand quick. It's just out of nowhere. It's just like, oh shit, this is a bloodbath. Because it was pretty competitive. It was a really good game in the first half. And then just, whew, Tampa, Tampa Bay went on a run there. Defensively, mostly, they've made Teddy Bridgewater's life a living hell in the second half. Bridgewater, he is expected to start, though. It looked like he took a weird injury to his leg. And he thought, oh, no. Due with history of knee problems like himself, you think this is not good. But it turned out he just sprained his MCL. They do expect him to play tomorrow, so that's good news for them. Unfortunately, Chris McCaffrey, he's going to be out his second straight game after a one-game return from the IR. So Chris McCaffrey just can't catch a break, and it seems like Carolina can't catch a break of late. You know, they were a really fun story, and then now they've lost five straight. It's ugh. And then also DeAndre Swift. For Detroit, he is out this game with a concussion as well. So we're going to get Adrian Peterson. We're going to get Carryon Johnson splitting the work 50-50. So, I mean, we'll get into the running backs later on this one. But let's look. So Detroit is 18th offensively, 15th passing, 26th rushing, and then the 24th overall defense. Carolina is a this is 12th team offensively in the league, 10th passing, 16th rushing, and the 31st overall defense. So this is this is running back heaven. This game here, looking at the other end of the other defense opposing you. So both teams, they allow two of the highest fantasy points per game to running backs in 2020. Only Alvin Kamara has more games with six plus receptions than Mike Davis for the Carolina Panthers. Carolina, I mean, they give up an obscene amount of rushing yards. You saw what Rojo did last week. He was just under 200 yards rushing, gave up a 98 yard touchdown run. For, I mean, for Detroit, they give up a shit ton of rushing yards as well. It's, this is going to be a really good game for Adrian Peterson. It's going to be a really good game for Mike Davis. This will be a game where both these teams get up and down pretty good. So whichever team doesn't make a mistake is probably going to win this football game. But uh, you would, I feel like, I feel like Detroit should win this game, right? Like it feels like they should win at four and five. I don't know how they're four and five. Some some weeks it feels like they should be, I don't know, like two and seven or something like that. They're four and five somehow, and they win this one. They're 500, and I don't know. They're still kind of in it technically, I guess. Not really, but kind of are. But I don't know. That's kind of Detroit in a nutshell the past couple of years where it's like they suck. Not that bad. They're okay. They're not middle of the pack, though. Nah, they're, they're not that good. But I don't know. It's, it's hard to put my finger on Detroit here because – there are weeks where Detroit and Matthew Stafford looks really good, and there are weeks where Stafford looks bad, and you're like, Ooh, just pick one. If you're going to be really bad, just be really bad. Just don't don't be in the middle. That's the worst place to be. Just suck really bad or be really good. Don't, there's no in-between. Just worst place to be. But Carolina, they lost five straight, like I said. This is the third straight season they've had a, at least one five-game losing streak, so hasn't been very good for them. 
Detroit, they're one of five teams to score 20-plus points at each game of 2020. Did not think that was going to be a statistic when I looked it up, but yep, they are one of the five teams in the league who have scored 20-plus points in every single game this year. So Matthew Stafford has his offense playing pretty well here. Carolina, they've allowed 20-plus points in five straight games, so something's got to give here, right? DJ Moore, this was a crazy one. So he's on pace to join Mike Wallace in Pittsburgh as the only player since 2000 with at least 1,175 yards and less than 65 receptions in a season. So he's getting all of his plays just on big splash plays, but he's not getting a really a very consistent target share here. It's kind of home run or bust for their DJ Moore. So this should be a really fun game. Uh, Detroit's played a lot of fun games this year, and um, this should be another one of them. Same thing with Carolina. Carolina's played a lot of fun games. They've been in a lot of, a lot of games. Not, I mean, they were in majority of the game last week. It was a good game up until, you know, mid-third quarter. That's when it really got away from them. But this should be a very competitive game. I don't think it's to be the greatest game in the world. It's not probably not going to be game of the week, but it'll be a pretty entertaining game to watch. On the other end of the spectrum, the 0-9 New York Jets at the 2-7 and Los Angeles Chargers. So Jets coming off the bye. Sam Darnold still banged up. So it's Joey Flacco time. Yay. Great, man. Great. Flacco starting again. 2-12 and 12 his last 14 starts, but let's keep fucking talking about Joe Flacco, right? So, whatever. Chargers, they're coming off a rough outing versus Tua and the Miami Dolphins. I mean, Miami's defense was just confusing the hell out of Herbert with their pre-snap looks. Everybody was standing up. Everyone looks like they're coming, and then they would just back off. He was so confused. Keen Allen said it was a complete nightmare for their offense to try to get into the right play call because they had no idea what was coming, so... Miami did a really good job defensively. They've been doing that. That's why they're one five straight now. They're six and three. The defense has been really good. The statistically, it's only I think what middle of the pack. We'll get into it here in a second. But the defense has been really, really good in really key spots. So that's kind of pacing them because Tua he wasn't flashy. He didn't do a lot of great things, but he's making the smart football plays, and that's why you know they're three and zero under him, and they're you know they're in the hunt of not only a playoff spot but winning the AFC East here. So the Jets. I mean, 32nd offensively, obviously, 32nd passing, 28th rushing, 25th defense. This ship, I mean, obviously, you could have guessed that, right? The Chargers, though, again, every week, I'm scratching my head. 7th offensively, 11th passing, 10th rushing, 10th defense, 2-7. and seven. Okay, that makes sense, right? I, it still doesn't make sense. Justin Herbert, he's the only quarterback in the Super Bowl era with one winner fewer and a 100-plus passer rating in a single season, minimum of 8 starts, so... Herbert's been really good, but everything else is looks like it's been good, but apparently it's not because they're two and seven. That's it's the most Chargers thing that's ever happened this season. Every single week, it's it's just the Chargers special. The Jets, they have been outscored by 147 points this season. They've been outgained by 1,230 yards already, and they are only averaging 13.4 points per game. So, uh, it's very confusing why Adam Gase is still. Safe. Like, I, I just don't understand what you watch every week and you go, you know what? Gase has got him close. No, he fucking doesn't. No, he doesn't. He's a horrible head coach, but his job's safe. I, I really don't get it. I, I don't understand what the Jets are doing, and I don't think the Jets know what they're doing either. So that's all I'm going to get on that game because it's, it's, it's been really bad. But, yeah, that one's going to be rough. I, I'm going to be disappointed. If, if the Chargers somehow, if they blow a fourth-quarter lead and they lose to the 0-9 Jets, just please. Take them to the XFL. We'll get. What was the LA's team name? Uh, fuck. What was the LA's team name? 
I forgot. I already forgot the XFL team name. Doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. But just whatever team plays in LA for XFL, that's a new team there. And that's it. The Chargers will play in the XFL because it, it's going to be, it's absolutely pathetic. If you lose to the Jets, especially in the Chargers way, God, how do you continue playing football? How does Anthony Lynn just like go back to his wife and kids? I, oh, well, moving on to the six and three Miami Dolphins, who I was just talking about at the three and six Denver Broncos. So Miami, they're coming a mile high after the 29-1 win versus LA I just talked about. Tua, another win. Again, he wasn't flashy, but he didn't make any mistakes. He did make some really great throws. He's just, he's a lot of fun to watch, man. He's hes really electric. And once they start, you know, trusting him a little bit more, you have a little bit more of some skill position players around him, you get a better running game, and really open to up, you know, passing the football. And they're going to be really fun to watch. But I had, I enjoyed so much of watching Tua last week. He was, he looks, he looks like a veteran back there. It's, it's, it's a lot of fun, man. I'm really happy for him because. With that hip injury, you thought, man, he's never going to play football again. And then Miami takes him, and then Ryan Fitzpatrick's playing really well. And then they still pulled Fitzpatrick out of nowhere. And, you know, two has been two has been really great. He's been really fun. This Miami team's been really fun, man. You know, the defense is the star of this 6-3 and three start. Their defense has been really good. And Ryan Flores should be getting a lot more love for Coach of the Year than he is. I mean, I love Mike Tomlin. I think Mike Tomlin deserves Coach of the Year. But... I kind of want to give it to Brian Flores, really, because he's been they've been he's been coaching out of his mind, man. And Denver, what the fuck? Uh, I don't know. Home after just a disastrous game versus versus the Raiders. I mean, what a roller coaster ride it's been this year, not only for the Broncos in general, but for just for Drew Locke. So Drew Locke was really bad, and you know I said he sucked. He's not any good, and he's got to figure out a way to turn things around. And then he has that two game stretch where. He's playing perfect football. He hasn't turned the ball over. He looks really good. And you're like, okay, this is what I'm talking about. This was the leap that we're doing it. And then this week against the Raiders, four interceptions, a fumble. It's like, what the, what is happening? What just happened to that Drew Locke that was just here two weeks ago? What happened to him? Well, he's out the door. So I don't know what the hell we're going to get out of Drew Locke this week. Probably not going to be anything, any good because Miami's doing a really good job on this run that they're in of just neutralizing starting quarterbacks. So it's probably not going to be a good way, good week for Drew Locke. It generally isn't so far this season. Percentages say it's not going to be a good, very good game for Drew Locke. So, oh man, I, I, I really, I thought he turned a corner here, but Drew Locke's stock is way down. So I've already sold that a couple of weeks ago. I sold that stock. So let's look at this. So Miami, they're 31st offensively, nothing to write home about 26 passing 29th rushing 16th defensively. You look at that and like, this is a middle pack team, right? No, this is a six and three football team. They make plays when they need to make them. They don't beat themselves. It's a really, really, really well coached football team. Brian Flores. I can't say it enough. He is, he is the coach of the year for me. He's been doing a phenomenal job, man. He really has. And Denver, 28th offensively, 24th passing, 22nd rushing, and the 15th overall defense. So this defense is really starting to, to tumble down the rankings here because this was a team that was hovering around 6th, 7th. They were in the top 10, and the past couple of weeks, there's just been open shot on their defense. They have been giving up a shit ton of points, and Drew Locke's turnover problems, they're not helping the defense at all here. So Miami, 6-3. and three. As I said, this is the first time since 2001 they have been 6-3, and three. so it's been a long time they've been this successful. Tua, 104.8 passer rating. It's the third highest by a rookie in NFL history with minis- minimum of 15 passing attempts. So he's been really sharp. He hasn't been making mistakes, and he's doing exactly what they need him to do. Given that defense, 
don't turn it over. If you punt, great job. If you score a touchdown, that's even better. But don't turn the football over. Don't put this defense in bad positions. Miami, they're allowing the fifth fewest points per game so far in the NFL at 20.2. Last year, they allowed the most at 30.9. So again, Brian Flores, the turnaround he's making this team, it's just, it's night and day. It really, it's insane. I did not see this coming at all. I thought Miami would be a bottom feeder, but they are making a run here. It's it's fucking crazy, man. If you would have bet me that New England would have a worse record than Miami at this point in the season, I would have laughed at you and taken your money happily. But, I mean, this is, it's just, it's a really fun story. It really is. So, they have five straight wins that I talked about earlier. Denver, they've lost three of their four last games. Uh, they have a league-leading 21 giveaways. So, that is kind of playing into the defense struggling, keeping the other team out of the end zone because they're just putting so many just shitty short field situations. I mean, Denver, they've allowed... 30-plus points in four straight games. That's the longest streak since 1968. So, Drew Locke in that offense is not doing them any favors. But, you know, once they, you know, they get, they pen them back, they still give up yards at this point. They're just, they're not playing very good as a whole. This whole team is just not playing well, except for Brandon McManus. He's the only guy who's been very sturdy and just, he's been playing well all year. That's all you can say. He's been really great. So, the kicker, he's been doing really great. Everybody else, it's been... Again, it's been a roller coaster ride. You don't know what you're going to get from this team each and every week, so we'll move on from that game. There's not that much you can really talk to. This game should be a really good, entertaining game. 7-2 Green Bay Packers at the 6-3 Indianapolis Colts. So Green Bay comes off as a little scare from the 1-8 Jacksonville Jaguars at home in Lambeau Field. So, I mean... Green Bay was lethargic for a good amount of it. They couldn't get the running game going. Rodgers wasn't as sharp as he's been all year, but you know he made throws when he needed to at the end to kind of put them up in this game. I think they were down, what, 10 to... What were they down? They were down like almost double digits before the two-minute warning, and then they went on a run where they scored like 14 straight points to end the half, and then you were kind of like, okay, we're comfortable, we're good. Jacksonville made a run. They were leading in the fourth quarter. Then Aaron Rodgers finds Devontae Adams for a touchdown, and then you're like, okay, you breathe a sigh of relief here. Green Bay is not going to drop one against Jacksonville at home. It, it kind of, I was like looking for Mike McCarthy on the sideline. It felt like a Mike McCarthy game. That was a classic McCarthy Packers where they get a big primetime win like they like Green Bay did last week against San Francisco, and then they followed up with a just pathetic, lethargic effort against Jacksonville. One and eight Jacksonville Jaguars at home, but... um. You know, they did what they needed to do. The defense got some stops towards the end finally, and they got out of there with a win. Indianapolis, we talked about their win Thursday night against Tennessee. Best game Indianapolis by far has played all year. All all three facets were fantastic. Rivers was really sharp offensively. Naheem Himes was running the ball pretty well. The defense played fantastic. The defense has played great all year. They had a really bad half in the second half against Baltimore, but Besides that, they've played really good defense all year. This is the best defense in football, at statistically it is, and their special teams is really great. You know, they got a block punt that turned into a touchdown that completely flipped that game on its ear. So, a really great game. Both these teams are coming in playing some pretty good football here. So this should be. I'm really excited to watch this football game. It's gonna be really good. So, Green Bay comes in with the ninth overall offense, their ninth passing, 14th rushing, and the eighth overall defense. Indianapolis, they have the 17th overall offense, 13th passing, 23rd rushing, and the number one defense in the league statistically. So Aaron Rodgers versus the AFC, he's kind of had the best of them the past couple years here. So he's 5-1 and one versus the AFC since 2019. 
in those games, he's averaging 315 yards per game and a 129.3 passer rating. Green Bay, they are the first team in the Super Bowl era to average 30-plus points per game and have five or fewer giveaways in their first nine games of the season. They've been super, super efficient. I mean, if you just throw away that game against Tampa Bay, this is insane that the run they're on holding on to the football. They would only have two giveaways if they if they didn't have that just puzzling outing against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers a couple weeks back. But Indianapolis, this is a really stingy defense, and they're only allowing an NFL low 290 total yards per game. Phillip Rivers, he's been really good. When I kind of put the nail on him uh, a couple weeks ago, I said, you know, he's probably going to have a stinker, and we're going to see Jake Brisket and... We haven't. We haven't seen Jacoby Brissett at all, and Philip Rivers has really turned it on. He's been playing well, and this has kind of been the story of him the past three years where it's hot and cold, hot and cold, hot and cold, but like the hot is really hot, and the cold is just freezing cold, and it's miserable to watch. So oh, he's on a he's on a nice hot streak here, and hopefully he can keep it up, and him and Rodgers can get a nice little, nice little slugfest here. But Rivers, he has 100-plus passer rating three of his first four games. He only had one in the first five games of the season. Rivers, he has the most passing yards per game versus Green Bay in the Super Bowl era in two career starts. He averages 372 yards per game against Green Bay. So if you learned anything last week, you saw that this defense, is it's susceptible to some big plays, and they can't stop the run. Unfortunately for Green Bay, Indianapolis cannot run the football at all. Jonathan Taylor has been really bad. Naheem Hines has shown some flashes, but more he's just a, more of a receiving back here. And Jordan Wilkins, same thing. He's kind of a scat back kind of receiving back. So they don't really have any. I mean, this would be if this is the week that Jonathan Taylor is going to get it together, it should be this week against this just really bad Green Bay rush defense. And they should have given up a lot of big plays in the passing game, but Jake Luton and that wind and everything, he just couldn't get the ball down the field. But this Green Bay defense, it is right for the picking, but we'll see if Phillip Rivers can do it or... He has one of those nightmarish games where it's like, how are you still in the NFL there, Phillip? Um, Naheem Hines, as I was talking about, more of a receiving guy. Him and Alvin Kamara, they're the only running backs in the league to lead their team in receiving. So Rivers has turned into quite the check down Charlie, but you know, it's winning the football games. It's keeping him out of playing with fire and turning the football over. So whatever it's doing, just keep on winning because that, that defense is really good. So if you don't turn the football over, you're generally, you're probably going to win that football game. So that's probably the most, one of the most tantalizing matchups of that one o'clock slate is that and Tennessee at Baltimore. Those are two games that are like really the best games to be watching. Um, the rest of them kind of have some potential, but we'll, we'll see here. So we'll move on to the next game. The two and seven Dallas Cowboys, them boys at the four and five Minnesota Vikings. So Dallas, they're coming off their bye. Minnesota, they're back home after 1913 Monday night football win against the NFC North rival, the Bears. So Kirk Cousins, thank God we can shut the fuck up about him not winning Monday night football games. He finally got one. Thank Christ. I'm so tired of hearing about that statistic. Jesus, Jesus Christ. I'm so glad he got it. Oh, so glad. It was a, he's 0-9. You know he's 0-9. Okay, man, we get it. It's fine. He got to win now. Shut the fuck up. Jesus, move on. Ugh. So, good news, though. Minnesota, they're riding a three-game winning streak. They started 1-5. You're kind of like, ugh, this team sucks. But they're winning some football games here. And the defense is starting to play a lot better. Like, a lot better after the bye week. The offense is a lot better with Dalvin Cook doing what the hell he's doing. So, 
Things are looking up in Minnesota. So we'll see if they can kind of make a run here for a last playoff spot. We'll see. So Dallas, they're still 11th offensively. That team, that offense that they've been sporting out there since Dak Prescott broke his broke his ankle, they are 11th. That's how insane Dak Prescott was playing. He has more passing yards than seven starting quarterbacks so far this season. Uh, it's... Dak Prescott, he makes more money as the week goes on. Each week that goes by, Dak Prescott adds another fucking dollar to the amount that he's going to get paid. I mean, honestly, he he cashed out getting hurt. Honestly, he's going to make more money not playing than playing because you just see these quarterbacks every single week just how many quarterbacks just should be in this league let alone playing at the level that Dak Prescott was playing at before he went down. I mean, they're still seventh passing. Seventh. They played Ben DiNucci, for Christ's sake, on Sunday Night Football, who couldn't even complete a pass, really. They're still seventh in passing, and they're starting Andy Dalton again. If Zeke was half the running back that we know he could be, this would be a really potent offense, but it's it's abysmal now. It's really bad. So they're 19th rushing the football. They're 19th defensively. So they're starting to make some plays defensively, finally, but it's still, it's it's not great. Um, Minnesota, 13th offensively, 23rd passing, 5th rushing, 20th defensively. So again, Minnesota is on the uptick with their defense. They were hovering around like bottom third in the league, you know, when I was doing these podcasts the past couple of weeks, but now they're, they're out to 20th. They're st- they're playing a lot better defense and that's really turned their season around and Dalvin Cook being absolutely insane. So we'll look at Ezekiel Elliott. So, so far in 2020, he's averaging just under 17 carries a game. 63.6 rush yards per game, 3.8 yards per carry, 90 scrimmage yards per game. These are all career lows across the board for Dalvin Cook. It's on the opposite end of the spectrum. So Cook in 2020, he's averaging just under 22 carries a game, 119 rushing yards per game, 5.5 yards per carry, 142.9 scrimmage yards per game. Those are all career highs across the board. So he's been great. He's been so much fun to watch. And Chicago did a really good job of bottling him up and it was all on Kirk Cousins to kind of make some plays and he had a perfect passer rating on third down and two touchdown passes. He was really great, Kirk Cousins was, and you know, a lot of shit has talked about Kirk Cousins. I am strangely for some reason team Kirk Cousins. I don't know why I am, but I am. But um, Kirk Cousins is a starting quarterback in the league. I'll, I'll put it at that. And there's not a lot of starting quarterbacks in the league. If you watch football every Sunday and you watch all the games, and you go through and you watch them, there's not that many starting caliber quarterbacks in the league. Kirk Cousins is one of those guys. And I know he makes a lot of stupid plays, and I know he makes, you know, he doesn't play that great all the time, but he's a starting quarterback in this league. And again, not many teams have a starting quarterback at all. So you got to have to get what you get with Kirk Cousins because he's better than most guys in the league, unfortunately. So Minnesota, defensively, they are playing better, but they have allowed 16 receiving touchdowns to wide receivers in 2020. That's by far the most in the league. Dallas, I don't think they're going to be able to take advantage of that. They do have three tremendous wide receivers, but again, you have the red rifle Andy Dalton back there, so woof. Uh, I don't know if they're going to be able to take advantage of that at all, but we'll see. 
Dallas, they are averaging 10.3 points per game since week six. That is clearly the fewest in that span. Minnesota's defense, they are allowing only 18 points per game since their week seven bye week. Before that, they were allowing 32 points per game. So since that bye week in week seven, they are playing so much better defense and you're seeing the win stack up. And as I said, Andy Dalton is expected to be back under center for the Dallas Cowboys. So yippee, I, I can't say it's going to get any better. I thought Gilbert played really good against Pittsburgh. Honestly, I would have uh, I would have really given him another shot. But Andy Dalton's the guy they brought him in here for, so that's what that's what they're gonna do. They're gonna play him. They think he gives them the best chance to win. So I don't know. I don't think that's ever been said about Andy Dalton. But moving on, Sunday night football, eight and one, Kansas City Chiefs at the six and three Las Vegas Raiders. So Kansas City, they're coming off their bye week. Vegas, they host Kansas City after a 37-12 win over Drew Locke in the Denver Broncos. So their defense forced five turnovers. And I was talking about them Saturday. This is one of the historically bad defenses at taking the football away and pressuring the quarterback. And they followed that up by going, Edex time, you don't know what you're talking about. We're going to get five turnovers. So, okay, good for you guys. That was a really great, it was a really great game. And he did against Drew Locke, though, so who really cares? Here comes Pat Mahomes, though. So Josh Jacobs was great, though, last week, and he carried them to victory. 112 yards, two touchdowns. I mean, Derek Carr only threw for 154 yards. He only threw the ball 20 times. They didn't need to do anything offensively because Drew Locke was just giving them points. So Kansas City, they are coming in hot, red, red hot. They have won 14 of their last 15 games. Their only loss was, of course, against the Raiders at home in Week 5. So... This could be a this could be a really fun game. I'm really excited for this one Sunday night. It's gonna be one of those ones where it's worth staying up all night for. So Kansas City, they are fifth offensively, third passing, 18th rushing, and 13th defensively. Las Vegas, they are 16th offensively, 22nd passing, seventh rushing, and they are the 17th overall defense. So Kansas City, they have they're coming in scoring 23 plus points in 23 straight games. That is the longest streak in NFL history. Josh Jacobs is eighth. He has eight rushing touchdowns. That is more than the entire Kansas City team combined. They only have seven. So the run game's got to get it going. Mahomes is playing out of his mind, but the running game just isn't the same as it was the first couple weeks. So we'll look at Clyde Edwards-Hilaire with and without Le'Veon Bell. I'm not saying Le'Veon Bell is the reason, but it's kind of, I don't know. They kind of look like they're kind of correlated. So without Le'Veon Bell, 21 touches a game, 84 rush yards per game, 113 total scrimmage yards per game. So with Le'Veon, less than nine touches a game, 27 rushing yards per game, 42 scrimmage yards. So maybe I guess it's, you're kind of, you kind of look at it a couple of ways. So a lot of people are telling me that, you know, I'm very frustrated the way that Miles Sanders is used. I'm very frustrated the way Kamara is still used. And I'm, I'm frustrated the way Aaron Jones is used. But it's a long season, right? It's it's a marathon, not a sprint. So you're trying to, I guess, limit carries, limit touches, keep them fresh. Um, you're working in Le'Veon, I guess, to keep Clyde Edwards-Hilaire fresh. And that's it is kind of important for a rookie running back to not, you know, get so much work early on because they usually hit that rookie wall around this time and legs get a little heavy. You're not play, you're not used to playing this much. So maybe this is a strategy by Andy Reid. Um, but still, I don't think the running offense is. I don't think they're blocking well enough in the run game. I don't think they're sticking to it enough, but when you have Patrick Mahomes, you can kind of do that stuff, but 
again, once the playoffs start, they need to start running the football, and maybe that's what they're doing. They're just saving Clyde Edwards-Hilaire for that kind of workload coming into the season, kind of prevent him from hitting that rookie wall there. So I don't know. It's something to, something to keep an eye on. And this was kind of weird. So Derek Carr, I always kind of make fun of him, and I'm kind of hard on him because he doesn't throw the ball more than 10 yards down the field. So deep passing in 2020. So deep passing is considered throws on 20-plus yards down the field. So Patrick Mahomes, 41% completion percentage, 14.4 yards per attempt, seven touchdowns, one interception, and a 116.9 passer rating. That's really good. Derek Carr, though, 44% completion percentage, 19 yards per attempt, five touchdowns, no picks, 130.8 passer rating. So these two quarterbacks have been two of the best deep ball throwers in the league so far this season. Didn't think Derek Carr would be on that list, but when they added Henry Ruggs, I was hoping that would change, and it has. So if you want to beat Kansas City, you can beat them down the field, deep down the field. And that's what they did last time when they beat Kansas City. Henry Ruggs was running all over them. So it should be a very exciting game. These teams are, they've been mostly, you know, Las Vegas has kind of been dink and duck, but they've scored some points in, so far this season. This isn't a completely terrible offense. So this should be a really fun game. I'm pretty excited for this one. And I mean, it's always exciting to stay up and watch Patrick Mahomes. I mean, Mahomes has the best touchdown to interception ratio in NFL history, minimum of 250 passing attempts. But I mean, you get that in like three games nowadays in the NFL, but 25 touchdowns, one interception. He's just, he's playing out of his mind. And Kansas city, they have not lost multiple division games in a season since 2014. So We'll see if they can keep that streak alive against Las Vegas. I think that Las Vegas win was, I want to say it was like an anomaly, but they've been playing some pretty good football since then. This is a 6-3 and three football team, so yeah, I, I still I don't see them beating Kansas City, but you know, crazier things have happened, like they beat them in Week 5, so who knows. Uh, Monday Night Football should be a good one. We got the 6-3 and three LA Rams at the 7-3 and three Tampa Bay Buccaneers, but it depends what Los Angeles team decides to show up is it going to be the team that showed up against san francisco and miami or is it going to be the team that showed up against seattle last week Uh, i don't know if it's the team against seattle last week we're going to be in for a really fun game of unstoppable force meets the immovable object so la they're coming out their big win against seattle like i was talking about so the defense they forced russ into four turnovers the defense is playing just lights out and tampa bay is rolling right now offensively they're off a route of 46-23 of Carolina. We've talked about Brady really bounced back from his three interception games Sunday Night Football against New Orleans. Ronald Jones, my boy, looked really good, 192 yards rushing. So the offense is starting to click here. They're really doing a good job of working Mike Evans in, Chris Godwin in, and Antonio Brown in last week. So the offense looks like it's kind of it's it's erasing what happened on Sunday Night Football. Again, I think that was just a really shitty night and it just shit rolls downhill, and there's nothing you can do from that. So you just forget about the game. It never fucking happened. You just move on. You lost. It's okay. Just keep it moving. And they've done a pretty good job of that, so maybe they can keep building on that. But this Rams defense, is it's really fucking good. So LA, they are the 10th overall offense, 14th passing, 9th rushing, and they are the second overall defense in the league. Tampa Bay, they are 4th offensively, 4th passing, 17th rushing, and 7th defensively. So... LA, they are allowing the second fewest points per game in 2020 at 18.7. They are decimal points behind Baltimore, who is allowing 18.3. So 
They've been a really, really good defense. LA is averaging 24 points per game. So only Philadelphia averages fewer points per game among teams and the NFC playoff picture. So they got to get their offense going. I know those numbers look pretty good. They're 10th, 14th, and 9th. And that three-headed monster they got going there with Cam Akers, Malcolm Brown, and Daryl Henderson has been good. But golf needs to be better. He's still not playing that great of football, so he's got to be a lot better to maximize this uh, Sean McVay offense. Brady, he's the only quarterback Aaron Donald has played multiple times and hasn't registered a single sack or gotten a win versus. So that's gonna be that's that was a pretty interesting stat that he hasn't even at least gotten a sack on Tom Brady. The Rams, they've allowed fewer than twenty five points in seven of nine games. Those are the most such games in the NFL. Tampa Bay, they have the most, the second most quarterback pressures at 120 behind Pittsburgh and the league. Golf, he has one of the worst passer ratings versus pressure at a 37.1. So it's going to be very interesting to see if the offense can keep golf up. They can keep the pressure out of his face, but they lost Jason Whitworth last week to a really nasty ankle injury. Looks like his career is probably over. That really sucks. So I don't know how that offensive line is going to recover from that, but. They better figure out something this week because that Tampa Bay defense is going to be coming after golf, and that really hasn't been a uh, good recipe for LA's offense this season. So that's going to be a really good week. Uh, this should be a fun, fun, nice little slate of games here. So that's the NFL. That's 10, and looking forward to games tomorrow. We'll get into the NBA. There's some stuff to get into here. So we've had draft, the league year started the offseason started on monday so we've had some trades and then free agency started yesterday at six o'clock so we've had that stuff we had the draft so i'm not going to go through the entire draft a lot of people i'm sure people that listen to this don't even really watch the nba so they don't really care as much as i do about it so i'm gonna be kind of brief with it you know i'll get into the draft real quick i'm not going to go through all of them i'm just going to do winners and losers so big winners my biggest winners was the philadelphia 76ers and the work that daryl morey did Holy shit, what a wizard. I mean, to unload that Al Horford trade, I mean, that was insane. And you got Danny Green out of it. You got a, you got a pick out of it. I mean, you you had to just give away a first-round pick for Al Horford. I mean, that's whatever, man. That's that's the cost of shedding that horrible deal. And Daryl Morey really just erased what happened last year with Philadelphia in that offseason where they gave the money to Horford they gave the money to Josh Richardson, which I didn't think Josh Richardson was a bad signing. I still don't think that. Uh, looking back on it, I think they really fucked up with Al Horford. I've really, they really messed up with that one. But the Josh Richardson, you know, deal, I thought that was pretty good. I, I thought he played some really good basketball for them. But they ended up moving Josh Richardson for Seth Curry. Seth Curry can do a great job of taking some ball handling duties out of Ben Simmons's hands. He's also a knockdown three point shooter. Finally, a shooter, two shooters now. Danny Green. Look, I know he shot horribly in the bubble. I know he missed that shot he should have made in Game 5 of the NBA Finals, but he was playing on a bum wheel. But he took all the shots he was supposed to take. He just wasn't playing well. But he's still a very competent defender, and I'm going to bet on a whole career's worth body of work compared to two months in a bubble situation that Danny Green was in last year. I mean... The numbers say that Danny Green is going to be good, and he's going to be really good, and he's going to help this team out a whole lot. Nobody created more assists for open shooters than Ben Simmons did last year. And I think this is a really, really, really great move by Daryl Morey to get them in there and give them some shooting and get rid of that goddamn Al Horford contract. He was really bad. I mean, 
to get Danny Green back. That is some value he sent to him um, to Oklahoma City. So just a great move by Daryl Morey. Then they end up drafting Tyrese Maxey out of Kentucky. I think he's going to be a really good guard who's going to come in right away and play some defense. He is a really good shot maker. He's not the greatest shooter in the world, but he will make very difficult shots. He's a Kentucky guard. These Kentucky guards, they come in. John Calipari has these dudes ready to play ball. And you saw what Tyler Hero did this year. You've seen it with Eric Bledsoe, John Wall. All these, these guards are ready to play. Devin Booker, these dudes are ready to play right away. That's what Calipari does. So that was a really great pick. Tyrese Maxey was. Isaiah Joe, he was supposed to be a late first rounder, mid first rounder. They got him late in the second round. Same thing with Paul Reed. Uh, a, a, a project big man that they can work with, but just a great, great night. Just just getting rid of Al Horford made them winners immediately. And what they did in the draft was fantastic. So Philadelphia were my biggest winners. Second biggest winner for me were the Memphis Grizzlies. They did a great job, man. So they came in with only the 40th overall pick. They turned that 40th overall pick into picking late into the first round with the 30th pick. And then they got the 34th pick from Sacramento. They drafted Desmond Bain. Guy's going to be a great, great fucking player. I can't believe he was there at 30. And then Xavier Tillman, project big man, but he's a guy who's going to be able to step in. He's going to play right away. And they got two guys who could fit right into the rotation right away. And they came in with one second round pick. So Memphis did a really, really great job. So hats off to Memphis. San Antonio, shocking that they had a really great draft. So Devin Vassell, who is... 1A and 1B perimeter defender in this draft. It's, you know, a coin toss between him and Isaac Okoro, who ended up going to Cleveland, thank God. And Pop got him in 11. And it was kind of insane that Chicago, who is one of my losers, who took Patrick Williams at four instead of Vassell. It's just, it's hard to watch Florida State and go, oh, I'll take Patrick Williams ahead of Vassell. I mean, Vassell was just, he was the heartbeat of that team defensively, offensively. It's insane that Greg Popovich got Devin Vassell. It's just whoever passed on Vassell that needed him, those are the losers. And, you know, I was on the fence. I wanted Vassell or Okoro in Cleveland. And they took Okoro. I was happy with it. I was just glad they didn't take Obi Toppin. So that's Cleveland is a winner in my book because they didn't take Obi Toppin. And the Knicks are losers because they took Obi Toppin. So whatever. That's that's San Antonio. And then they got Trey Jones in the second round, who is, you know one of the best perimeter defenders at the guard position. So Greg Popovich got two specials that he wants, perimeter defensive players, and Devin Vassell is going to be a fantastic pro. He couldn't have went to a better place in San Antonio. Pop is going to coach him up. Same thing with Trey Jones and with Lonnie Walker there and DeJounte Murray and Devin White. They got some really great players there. San Antonio is, you know, they're they're going to be right there in the playoff picture again. Who knows what happens to DeMar Rosen? Who knows what happens to Marcus Aldridge? But San Antonio looks like they're in a pretty good space with the way that Popovich drafts, at least. So Sacramento, I usually don't say they're a winner at anything, but I think they did a really good job. So they drafted Tyrese Halliburton, possibly the best point guard prospect out of the entire thing out of Iowa State. He fell, he fell, he fell, he fell. And, you know, it was looking like San Antonio was going to take him, but then Devin Vassell is still sitting there. So they're like, okay, I guess we'll take Vassell. Halliburton ends up going to Sacramento. That'll be a really interesting fit with him and De'Aaron Fox, who just took a major max deal. So good for De'Aaron Fox. He's one of my favorite players to watch. But him and Halliburton could be really fun together, and Halliburton could kind of take some of the ball handling duties away from De'Aaron Fox, and they could play off each other very well. So that was a really great pick for them. 
And then they ended up taking Robert Woodward late in the second round. They got back into the second round. They moved down with um, Memphis, and they got Robert Woodward. So he's going to come in day one. He's going to play minutes for them. So it was a really great get in the second round. And then they got Jamisus Ramsey in the second round. So it was a good draft for Sacramento. Now, are they going to do something in free agency that will kind of help that team out. I don't know, but uh, the draft was a really great, it was a really great draft for them. It really was. And Detroit, I thought they did great. They drafted Killian Hayes, but the biggest thing, I love that they got Sadiq Bay. I think that guy is going to be one of the steals of the draft. Just a fantastic defensive player at Villanova. He could shoot the ball really well and catch and shoots for a guy his size. It, just a fantastic move there. I mean, the draft was great for Detroit. What they're doing in free agency, I don't fucking have a clue what they're doing. They're just they're taking the New York Knicks strategy last year of just taking every single power forward available, but um yeah, it's pretty insane how I went from loving what Detroit was doing, singing their praises, you know, Thursday into Friday. I'm like, "Man, Detroit, man, they're doing really great." And then Detroit is like, "Hold on, we still have free agent signings to make." And then you're just like, "Hey, could someone fill me in on what Detroit's doing?" "Oh, you have no idea either." Great. So we have no idea what Detroit's doing. Cool. And um, yeah, that's, but these are draft winners. So Detroit is a draft day winner, not, not a free agent day winner. So Cleveland, again, I'm so happy. It feels really good to know that Cleveland did something smart and um, haven't done that a lot uh, at all, really. And um, I'm just glad that they didn't take, you know, an undersized guard or something again or something. Like, Okoro is, was the guy. It was either going to be Vizel or Okoro. If you took Obi Toppin, man, I was going to jump out the window. But um, I'm really glad they got Okoro. I think he's going to be a really good kid that's going to come right away. He's going to play defense. Everyone likes to point to the 23.8% three-point shooting. Whatever, man. I mean, he took him. And, you know, his shot doesn't look broken. It looks like he's got a pretty good form. NBA coaching, it can get it to around 35, which is respectable, and that's fine. But the, the way the kid plays defense... It's it it'll be just fine, and um, I'm a little disappointed that they didn't make they didn't make a Drummond move. Uh, I was kind of hoping that they would dangle Drummond and they kind of do a signing trade with Gordon Hayward and kind of move back up into the draft or something like that. And there was talks that they were talking with the Knicks to move from fifth to eight and get the twenty third. And you know, with that, that would have been nice because you could have still gotten Devin Vassell and you could have gotten. I don't know. You could have gotten anybody else. Like you could have gotten A. Smith or something like that as a shooter. But whatever. I think Cleveland did a pretty good job. I think Kobe Altman's done a pretty good job as a general manager. A lot of people point to the Kyrie Irving trade, but what the fuck did you expect him to do? It was his second day on the job, and he got to trade Kyrie Irving. So whatever. I thought it was a pretty good draft for Cleveland. And um, losers. I already mentioned Chicago. I mean, taking Pat Williams fourth. I mean, I don't think Pat Williams is going to be a bad player, but. You had Devin Vassell right there. I mean, you took the wrong Florida State guy. Like you, you were there. Like you almost had it, but I just—it was just a very strange way for me. And then whoever passed on Devin Vassell and gave him to San Antonio, you fucked up. And not getting and and, and Halliburton falling as far as he did. Um, also another winner I wanted to mention was Charlotte. Charlotte was a winner taking Lamelo Ball. Lamelo Ball will probably end up being the best player in this draft, and not even for that. Just they got a marquee name finally. In Charlotte, they have somebody, you know, once Kemba left, even when Kemba was there, it was kind of like it moved the bar a little bit. But LaMelo is, he is a superstar personality. Everyone knows LaMelo. Um, he's well loved and people follow his game from everywhere. So that's a good get for Charlotte because they need some eyes on him. And 
Charlotte just recently, before I started recording, they signed Gordon Hayward to a four-year, $120 million contract. So MJ looks like he wants to compete this year. He kind of wants to not be in the cellar. And I think, you know, you had LaMelo to a Gordon Hayward now, and you got Malik Monk, and you have Miles Bridges, and you have Nicholas Batum is still there, raking in money somehow, the finesse god, and, you know, maybe they're trying to make a run. And I was kind of hoping that, you know, maybe, you know, Detroit or, you know, Charlotte looks like they're in the buying mood. Can I offer you a lightly used Andre Drummond for Miles Bridges and Nicholas Batum? Please and thank you. Just go ahead and call the trade in now. We'll send you a couple first. It'll be all good. You take Andre Drummond and we'll just take Miles Bridges. Thank you. And uh, I don't think that's going to happen. I had a nice little, I was working with the trade machine a lot. And I had some really good trades for Andre Drummond. It's just, it hasn't materialized. So, Unfortunately, but the trades that have materialized. So we were talking last week. It, it seemed like CP3 to Phoenix was really going to happen. And then it finally did happen. So Phoenix sends Rubio, Ubre, Ty Jerome, LeCue over there, some picks over to OKC for Chris Paul. Great get. I mean, this is, this is such a beautiful move, man. This is going to make Devin Booker's life so much easier to have a guy, not saying that Ricky Rubio didn't get them in the right position, but to have Chris Paul get you in the right spots, you can't really double Devin Booker if you got Chris Paul out there. I mean, it's a really, really great move. I'm so, I'm so excited to watch Phoenix, man. And they didn't have to lose. They didn't lose Mikhail Bridges. They didn't lose. Uh, you know, they they still have a really great young core. Still, this was just a home run fucking deal. I love what James Jones is doing there. And then once Rubio is in OKC, draft night, he's sent right back to Minnesota for James Johnson and some picks. So that happened. Then Brooklyn adds some shooting from the Clippers. They added Landry Shamit in a three-team deal with LA Clippers, who got Luke Kennard from Detroit, and a pick was sent there. With that pick, they ended up taking Sadiq Bey. So it was a good move for all three teams. I think Kennard is a really good player for the Clippers to have. He'll do a lot of great shooting for them. He can do a little bit of ball handling. So I thought that was a pretty good move for the Clippers. Josh Richardson, we talked about it. He was dealt to Dallas for Seth Curry. Then Philly, they sent, well, first LA. I was talking about it. It looked like it was going to happen. The framework was happening on Saturday that Danny Green and the number 28 to OKC for Dennis Schroeder. That went through. Then OKC flips Danny Green to Philadelphia for Al Horford and a first-round draft pick. So great move. Ronald Covington, he gets traded to Portland for two first-round draft picks. Everybody was joking that uh, Telman Fertitta got more first-round draft picks for Robert Covington than Bill O'Brien did for DeAndre Hopkins. So, yeah, it's just it's really tough to be a Houston fan. Really sorry. Uh, Steven Adams, he was added to the deal between New Orleans and Milwaukee for Drew Holiday. So Steven Adams is going to New Orleans. Drew Holiday is still going to Milwaukee. Then Bledsoe. George Hill and three first rounders are going to New Orleans. It was a really good move for, I think it was a little too rich when it first came out that Milwaukee sent three firsts and Dante DiVincenzo and Drew Bledsoe and George Hill to New Orleans for Drew Holiday. I think Drew Holiday is a really good player. I've sunk his praises a lot, but I don't think he's worth three first round draft picks. I think that's one of those moves that it felt like when Milwaukee's confident that. Giannis is staying. If you're giving away that much capital draft-wise, 
you know that Giannis is staying because if he's gone, you're going to need every single one of those picks to get back into contention. So, and then they had the sign and trade for Bogdan Vadanovic from Sacramento. They did. They apparently it looked like it was going to go through. So you're looking at this. You're like, wow, these are two fantastic moves to keep Giannis there. He's going to sign that extension, isn't he? And then the sign and trade fell through somehow. Apparently, Bogdan did not give them any kind of saying like, I'm not going to sign with you. I'm not going to sign with Milwaukee. And then tampering charges were going to be filed and they really investigated it and then the deal is dead. So that kind of takes Milwaukee back like, oh man, so you got Drew Holiday, but what else have you gotten for Giannis so far? And they added DJ Augustine to a deal and they signed Bobby Portis. Like, yo, this these are the moves you're making to keep Giannis happy? Come on, man. Like, I appreciate Giannis being a loyal guy. I love that, but it, I wouldn't sign anything. Don't sign shit until after this season. If you see that Bud can play you more than 32 minutes a game and he puts you in positions to win basketball games in the postseason and not the regular season, then possibly I sign. But I ain't signing shit right now, especially after that Bogdanovich shit. No, I'm not signing anything. You don't deserve it. No. Nope. You are a mom-and-pop organization. You don't deserve it. If I'm trying to win... I'm not signing anything, man. And I guess I guess I would kind of salute Giannis if he does stay, because you're kind of you're not running from the grind. You're you're gonna be a part of it and you want to build something from the ground up. And I, it's very admirable. I really appreciate it. But you just can't win in the NBA like that anymore. It's just it's the way the landscape is going. You're just not gonna win like that. So hopefully Giannis doesn't do anything too rash and just signs because they got the Drew Holiday deal, but we'll see. And then um Golden State, they acquired Kelly Oubre, which was a huge move given the just depressing news about Klay Thompson, Terry, his Achilles on draft day. So turns out he got hurt and it was a lower leg injury and they didn't know what it was. And everybody's kind of holding their breath. And like right before the draft, it came out towards Achilles. And you're just like, motherfucker, man. It was just so, such a bummer. And then it was kind of strange that Golden State didn't take LaMelo because Clay was going to be out, uh, but they took Wiseman. And if Wiseman is going to be half as good as people think he is, I think Golden State is still in position to compete. Uh, I think their championship window has slammed shut without Clay. Clay now over 30, two major leg injuries like that. It That's tough. I think we've seen the best of Clay Thompson's basketball, which is really depressing, but we've he's given us some really great games. He's given us some great shooting. He's one of the greatest shooters to ever live. And, it just it bums me out because he busted his ass to get back to where he was from that ACL injury, and then he tears his Achilles. It's just, man, but a lot of people are sleeping on Wardell, and I mean, 30 is still in Golden State, right? So we've seen in 2015 what he did. I think he still has that kind of ball left in him, and I think they really could compete, and Oubre is a really great addition. That team is going to be really fun and athletic, a polar opposite of what it looked like it was going to be coming into the year with Wiseman there up front. If Dre can kind of go back to what he was a couple years ago, I don't think that's going to happen. But if he does, that changes the ceiling of Golden State a whole lot. This is a championship team. If Dre can play the way he did in like 16 and towards the beginning of 17 with Oubre, who's very fun, athletic. He's pretty good defensively. He's a plus defender. He's not, you know, he's not Clay. Clay is one of the best defenders at the two guard spot. So this team is this team could be really fun. I think Golden State still has some moves to make in free agency. We'll see what they do, but I, I thought it was I thought it was a really good move for them to get Ubre because it kind of brunts the the kind of the 
bumming out of Clay not being there in that big hole at the two guard. So it was, I think that was a really good move. And they got him on the cheap too. So some other free agents signing, some big headliner ones. So Los Angeles, the Lakers, man. So they trade for sixth man of the year candidate, Dennis Schroeder. And then they get Montrez Trail, the sixth man of the year. He leaves the Clippers for a two-year, $19 million deal to sign with the Lakers. And then they got Wes Matthews for free, essentially. So they lost Avery Bradley. He declined. They're not going to sign him. Uh, thank you for your service, sir. Rondo, it looks like he's going to be a Clipper right now. They said, thank you for your service, sir. We're just going to scoop up Wesley Matthews on the cheap. And it looks like they have their eyes on Marcus Saul and Serge Ibaka. I think Serge Ibaka goes to Brooklyn. That looks like that's what's going to happen there. But I wouldn't be shocked if he goes to L.A. Um, the Clippers, they re-signed Moore, sorry, Marcus Morris to a four-year, $64 million deal. Just woof. But if you look at some of the deals that were happening the past two days, I don't think Marcus Morris got overpaid at all. I think that was a pretty good deal for them, and they're really going to need him now that they've lost Montrez Harrell. So I don't think it was that much of an overreaction of them paying Marcus Morris, who was a really he was their most dependable player towards that that playoff run behind uh, Kawhi Leonard. So he deserved to get a payday, and then. Gallinari, it looked like that possibly the Lakers could make a run for Gallinari or the Heat or something like that. Uh, the Mavericks, one of these cusp playoff teams were going to try and make a move for him, and then Atlanta offers him $61 million, and he takes that deal. Can't get mad at Gallo at all for taking the bag there, but Atlanta's trying to make some moves that possibly they're going to try and make a run for a seventh seed, so it could be a good move for him. And uh, I... I was kind of hoping that Gallinari would go to the Mavericks. That would have been a whole lot of fun with him, Porzingis, and Luka. But Atlanta was a really fun team last year. They didn't win a whole lot of football uh, football games. I'm in football mode still. They didn't win a lot of basketball games last year. But Trey Young's a lot of fun, obviously. John Collins and... I, I don't. What do they do with Clint Capella, though? Are they going to move Clint Capella? Because if they don't move Clint Capella, then that just really stinks for John Collins. You don't know what you're going to do with him. It would be like nice if... Cleveland called up the phone and tried to get John Collins off of them, but good move for Atlanta. You know, they got Danilo Gallinari, a guy who's just wakes up out of bed. And he could score 17, 18 points in this league. So that's going to be a really good get for Atlanta. And then Gordon Dragic, out of fear of being beaten up by Jimmy Butler, he stays with Miami. Myers Leonard also does as well. And then Christian Wood, he signed with Houston. I think it was about three years, $46 million. If, if Russ... And James Stay, that's going to be a really great move for them, having Christian Wood. I thought he was one of the better big men on the market this year, so that was a good get. Now, are those two going to be there still? I don't know. James seems like he's really hard set on getting the fuck out of Houston. I don't blame him. Tillman Fertitta is a broke boy. He needs to get the hell away from there, and I don't know if Brooklyn is the place to be for him. Uh, a lot of people think it's a really great idea. I don't. I don't think it's. I don't think it's a great idea. I think. I think Brooklyn would have been better off if they would have just put their energy towards acquiring Drew Holiday with Kyrie and KD. I just don't think you need to force James in there. Now, if James can go back to playing off ball and moving off the basketball, cutting and screening and doing all that stuff that he did in OKC in his early years, that would be a really great move, and I would I would trust it fully. But I haven't seen it the past couple of years with James in Houston. He didn't move without the basketball. He didn't really give up the basketball. I just I don't think that would be a really great fit and um but I think I honestly think Philly would be the move. I think that would be the place where he really would he would really flourish there. 
And I think it would give him an opportunity to do the same stuff he's still doing. And then you could have the luxury of playing Ben at four and him setting screens for you. And then Ben could also pick up the best perimeter player on the other side and Harden wouldn't have to play any defense at all anyway. So, But will they be able to even make that deal happen without a Ben Simmons in there? I doubt it. So I don't know. I don't know how Harden gets out of there, but he's trying to figure out his way every way possible. Russ is still trying to get out of there. And then John Wall announced, I'm trying to get out of Washington. Washington's like, yeah, man, we're trying to get you out of here too, but you make way too much money. And um, they were talking about a Russ and John Wall straight up swap. That'd be hilarious because that doesn't move the needle for either one of those teams. But uh, I don't know. But if John Wall goes to Houston, I think that'd be pretty, that'd be a cool move. If him and Harden are there, I think John Wall could, if he's healthy, I still think he can defend a little bit better than Russ. I still think he, you know, he's a better scorer than Russ is at this point in his career. He's a little bit better of a shooter. But, you know, you can't depend on John Wall to stay healthy anymore. So it's 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 tough. I mean, that guy makes so much money. It's it, it's a really big gamble, man. 40 mil a year. That's that's a hard contract to move and same thing with Russ and it's just that's that's really tough. So, uh, good luck with all that. Um Joe Harris the sharpshooter, Smoking Joe. He gets four years, 75 mil to stay with Brooklyn. That was a really good move. I think they really needed to keep him there for some shooting. Fred Van Fleet, he stays with Toronto. Um, Majiri did a great job of getting him four years, $85 million. So, you know, I was worried that Fred Van Fleet was going to go chase the back somewhere in like New York or something like that, but he stays with Toronto. A huge move to keep them, keep that nucleus together. Dwight, he tweeted out that he was staying in the purple goal and he loved it and whatever. Then he deletes it. Then Shams reports he is going to Philadelphia. So that's quite the the front court there. Uh, Joel Embiid and then Dwight Howard backing him up. Oof, I don't know about that one. That's that's going to be a that's that's certainly a fit. So uh, I don't know. Philly looked like a lot of like a great winner, and then I saw the Dwight movement. Like, ugh, I don't like that at all. But. We'll see what happens. I mean, Dwight played some really good basketball for the Lakers last year, and he was a key cog and then winning a title. So, I don't know. Maybe Dwight's turned a new leaf. I, I don't know. But, um, yeah, that's so far that's really what's happened. I'm going to check my phone real quick to see if I missed anything. Uh, Nets, they signed Jeff Green. Okay, thanks for that. That's great. Um, I don't think anything has happened. Uh oh, Nicholas Batum. He got waived by the Hornets to make room for Gordon Hayward. So, huh? He's begun. He has begun receiving interest from multiple contending teams, according to Chris Haynes. I don't know who is in the market for a Nicholas Batum, but oh, maybe he could make something happen for somebody. Um, yeah, it looks like that's all the news that have happened since I started recording. Jeff Green and then uh, Gordon Hayward. Yeah, four years, one hundred twenty million dollars. Yeesh. Imagine how bad it is in Boston that you left to go play for Charlotte. But it's Kyrie's fault, right? I mean, so they've lost Kyrie Irving. They've lost Gordon Hayward, and they've lost Al Horford. Those are three max guys that Boston has lost in the past three years. So I don't know if it's all Kyrie's fault, though, right? Why the the chemistry was off and everything was bad. So I don't know. Uh, Boston... The kings of we almost traded for somebody. If Jesus, Danny Green, Danny Ainge is the most I almost did it motherfucker I've ever seen. All you get is reports of Danny Green almost or Danny Ainge almost trades for blank. Danny Ainge almost trades for blank. Just do it, bro. Just do one. Pull the trigger on one, man. What the fuck? 
Just trade. Make a trade. I'm so tired of hearing Danny Ainge almost got somebody. Who gives a shit? Either get him or don't. Stop putting it out there that Danny Ainge almost did it. Good God, man. They almost traded for Drew Holiday. Oh, yeah, really? Who gives a shit? Yeah, they almost got Anthony Davis. Yeah, but they fucking didn't. Okay? What was the other move that just happened recently? It was like, yeah, Boston was in on that. Okay, then just do the move. Christ, man. So tired of hearing it. Almost. I almost did it. I don't care, dude. God damn it. I got. I don't like Danny Ainge. I guess that's why it's kind of annoying for me. But that's it. That is everything. I have. I think I've accomplished my mission of keeping this under under three hours. So that's what's up. I'm looking at about two hours now. So I'll take that. And um, that's it for me. I think I'm going to get back onto a normal schedule coming this week. So I'll probably be recording on Tuesdays again and then recording on Friday. So it should be all back to normal. Who knows? I did get a new job offer on Friday. I'm mulling it over this weekend to see if I take it. If I do that, I'll start in the middle of December. The hours will be a lot different. So I don't know how that's going to affect my pod schedule, but I'll still make it work. So with that, I'm going to go ahead and sign off so you can listen to this one tomorrow while you got to run some errands. I know I got to run a bunch of errands before I could sit on my ass and watch football all day. So go ahead and you can do this to kill some time. And then I'll meet you back here on Tuesday. Have a good one. It's over. It's over. Y'all take it easy. I'm out.